BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ben, come on, we're late. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I got, I got my egg salad sandwich. Well, screw eating. that thing. Okay, sorry, egg salad. <laughs> <laughs> Poor egg salad sandwich. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, October 8th is moments away. And before we do that, we got to thank the following unions for sponsoring this podcast. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 are sponsors, as well as our dear friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. And we need to make sure the listeners hear us. And how we do that is a song of the day. Weigh in. Let us know you can hear us loud and clear. Your song of the day request, Ben, does come from Frank, as always. I think you'll know this. Solidarity Forever by Pete Seeger. Oh, my goodness. Hold on. It's the old union song. <clears throat> Solidarity forever. Come on, D. Solidarity forever. And the truth keeps march. I just hastened it to keeps marching on. So I'm gonna march around my attic. Now I'm marching out to the porta potty. Okay, come come back. back! Come back! <laughs> Hold on. Hey, here I am. I marched around. I love that. I love Pete Seeger. I'm not ashamed to admit it. The ben Pete Dr- Seeger, man. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. Ooh. It is Thursday, October 8th. And yeah, still live from my apartment in his attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, last night's vice presidential debate, and we welcome back in these times writer, Miles Camp Lassen. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Shoe Pence Fly Thursday. And here's why. The all-important vice presidential debate was last night. Of course, I watched it. Let's break down the major points, starting with... That's a drum roll. Number one, 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 one. The fly on Pence's head. For over two minutes, there was a fly on Pence's head. First question, how did he get in? Second question, why wasn't it wearing a mask? Oh, such investigative work we got to get into here today. Now, there are some people... I think it's a sign of our society's descent into trivialities that I'm even talking about the fly. In fact, I am going to break the fourth wall and talk about our pre-show production meeting where the producer of this show, a certain Dr. D. That's me. How's it going? Name's Dennis. Had this reaction to the fly. (laughs) 
You're not going to talk about the fly, are you? Oh, my God. I did not say I that. I'm a graduate of radio school. We have standards. Issues are what matters, not flies. Okay. I sound nothing like that, and I didn't say that. And I go, but D, <laughs> just it could be Abraham Lincoln debating Socrates. What a debate that would be. And if a fly landed on Socrates' head, I'd be talking about the fly. I am outraged that the standards of this show, which I have worked so hard to uphold, have been trampled. Trampled, I say. I'm like, but, but D, imagine if it was like, a, like a big booger and Pence's nose. Wouldn't we be talking about that today? No. Issues, not boogers. <laughs> So, all right. Anybody else feel like the bar is just really low? I don't know. <laughs> this is what did it for you? We had a president who said, take bleach, but the flop. <laughs> the flop. <laughs> that, that did it. That was the straw that broke the camels. We had President Trump. Uh, let's go for the joyride in the car. Well, I, well, I pass my coronavirus on to my Secret Service guys. But I hear you, man. It's up to us to maintain standards. See, you're absolutely correct. So no more talking about the fly. No, Although keep talking about that. the fly. I mean, that's good podcast content. I'm just I'm observing this, that the bar is low. I'm watching the debate, and I see the fly. And I have to tell you, I thought it was on my TV. I said to my wife, there's a fly on our TV. How did a fly get in our house in October? And she goes, no, I think that flies on Pence's head. So I went over to the TV and I was like, oh my God, I'm smacking the TV. There's the, the fly is on. Anyway. By the way, what's that fly sound like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. You know, D, I, I think I told you this before. I'm going to get to the issues today, folks, but. Uh, for many reasons, I was listening to James Brown uh, this morning when I woke up. I already know. I told you this. I cannot get it out of my head. And that opening song that you played has got like a, you know, like the guys going for the James Brown. I mean, I can't get it out of my head. Sorry. <clears throat> Back to the debate. What else? Number two, Kamala. Love you, Kamala Harris. Now I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna get a lot of grief from my lefty friends, and there's a long list of them running from Sergio to Candace to Babs to Samina to all the other left-wing Kamala critics who regularly appear in my show. I know, I know, but I can't help myself. There's something about her. It's like the way she just like gave Pence that look. Like, are you for real? Don't give me give me a break, huh? And then she goes, "I'm speaking." Yes, yes. I loved it when she did that, and he was always trying to interrupt her, like. He did it different than Trump. He, you know, he's like, Trump just like, you got to give Trump credit. Trump is just, just like a train. Just, he just, there's no rules, no regulations. He's going to talk whenever he wants to. His two minutes can be up. He's keep talking. It could be Joe Biden's two minutes. He keep, Pence is like trying to pretend it like low keys, not interrupting. You know, the 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 moderator, we're going, oh, your time's up. Because, oh, <laughs> Oh, that was good. Uh, Pence impression. <laughs> anyway, but uh, I, I was hoping that um, that Kamala would make a reference to the fly on Pence's head. You know, she could say something like, uh, is that a fly in your head? Or are you happy to see me? Oh, there uh, we go. You should have been. Really, the, you should have been the writer. <laughs> I realize that joke makes no sense, but I just I don't know. It's the first thing that popped in my head. Anyway. Number three, 
Sad day for lefties. And we talk about this with Miles Kemp Lassen uh, from In These Times. Once again, the lefty wing of the Democratic Party, uh, of which I am one, uh, has been told to sit in the corner with our mouths shut and not embarrass anybody. Just like in 2016, 2012, 2008, 2004, 2000, 1996, and 1992, and so on and so forth, going back to 1972. Because one lesson that the baby boomers who run the Democratic Party learned, and now the next generation has learned it as well. Now millennials, who weren't even alive in 1972, have learned it. Ben, you can't win by running to the left. How many times do we have to tell you? Okay? Don't embarrass us. You saw what happened in 1972 with George McGovern. Now go sit in the corner and be quiet. The right has successfully, and i got to give them credit for this, in a diabolical way, they have successfully reduced all the great ideas that lefties have to certain dog whistles, like Medicare for all becomes socialized medicine, sin, sin, sin. How about protecting the environment from destruction? The Green New Deal. How about, like being fair about and consistent about how we nominate justices to fill vacancies. If you have one set of rule in 2016, you should have another. You should have the same rule in 2020 instead of just changing it. That becomes pack the court, 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 court. And as soon as Trump utters these or as soon as Pence utters these, you see Joe Biden and Kamala shaking their heads as if to say, no, that's not what we stand for. Oh, that's that weirdo Ben. That's what he believes in, in the attic, overlooking the porta potty. That's not us. Come on, man. Yeah. My favorite part of the presidential debate, the first presidential debate, well, there was only one this time, is when Trump said, You just lost the left. It's to Biden. He said it like three times. Uh, so I guess, upon reflection, D, you could say it's my three favorite parts of that first debate. Why couldn't a fly have landed on Trump's head in that debate? Sorry, D. Did not mean to discuss the fly. Back to issues. Lefties are like the black sheep of the Democratic Party. We're like the cousins we're ashamed of. Oh, my God, that's my cousin, my commie cousin from Detroit. Just ignore him. So embarrassing. My uh, mom told me this story many, many years ago about a time long, long ago when she was a teenager and she was uh, in an elevator with her mother and her sister, her older sister, and uh, her sister was so embarrassed of the mom, she said, Mom, don't breathe. <laughs> like you're going to cause attention, attract attention. That's how the Democratic Party treats lefties. Don't breathe. Don't do anything to call attention to yourself. Don't embarrass us. It's all about winning over swing voters of Wisconsin. Did it ever occur to you that like swapping fracking for high paying union jobs could win over voters or Medicare for all could win over voters? Hold on. This just in from the DNCD. Be quiet, Ben. Don't breathe. What else? Oh, move over, Tony Preckwinkle D. We have a new I don't answer the questions that are asked to me champion. And that would be Mike Pence. Come on down and take your trophy, Mike Pence. Man, Mike Pence is shameless. Let me just tell you, Tony was the champ. I remember when he had uh, Tony Prepago, uh, what was it, uh, 2014, I want to say, McDumpkey and I, we were doing First Tuesday at the Hideout. 
asked her point blank question. Like, why didn't you run in 2015 against Rom? And she would just answer whatever she wanted to answer. Well, you know, the, I really believe that budgets are important and we should have balanced budgets. Yeah, but why did you run against Rom in 2015? Did I tell you about how important it is to have good oversight, budgetary, fiduciary oversight? Whatever answer she wanted to give, that's the one she gave, regardless of the question. Pence was like that last night. Moderator asked him a direct question about abortion. What would happen in the state of Indiana if Amy Coney Barrett gets on the court and they eradicate Roe? What would happen? Would would, Would Indiana, under his recommendation, move to make abortion, all abortions, illegal? He started answering about, I don't know, what he, I can't remember what, something having nothing to do with that. He goes, uh, I'll deal with that. But first, let me go back to the last question you asked. So in other words, he's just going to answer whatever question he wants to answer, reciting whatever talking points he memorized. Kamala did sort of the same thing on a couple. She did it on the abortion question, too. They asked her, uh, like like the, the moderator was saying, well, will you prohibit abortion in Indiana? And then <laughs> it's like, that's that equalization question. I got to say this, guys. Man, I cannot win as a lefty. They asked uh, Kamala, well, will you allow every conceivable kind of abortion in California? Like, there's any mainstream politician to adhere to that point of view. You just created, you just made up a position that no mainstream Democrat takes. I don't know anybody really who takes that position. On the other hand, It's a very real position taken by people in the Republican Party to outlaw abortion. So that's a legitimate question. But just make up some. Kamala Kamala should have said, nobody has that position. Come on, moderator. It's that false equivalency. uh, Between that and telling us to stand in the corner, don't embarrass us, it's rough for lefties. Anyway. Words coming out that there may not be a presidential debate, D. The commission wants to do it virtually. Uh, Trump says he won't do virtual, only in person. Uh, I guess he likes COVID so much that he wants to share it with the world. We've got a great show today, everybody. Miles Kaplan <laughs> will be on, breaking down the debate. Maybe doing a little uh, local issues as well, fair tax issues. Talk about uh, what's happening, the indictments in Michigan. This was breaking uh, as we came on the air. Uh, a alleged threat to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Very bizarre story breaking out of Michigan. Uh, Miles said he would look into it more. We'll have some talk about uh, that as well. I know Miles is feeling much the same way I do about lefties sitting in the corner and much the same way I feel. The stakes are so high in this election. We have to stomach. This may be the most important election of our lifetime because Trump is so insane. Anyway, Miles Kemp-Lassen will be here talking about the debate, but not one word about that fly. Okay, you're serious. giving me a hard time about this fly <laughs> comment I made. <laughs> not one word. Because you know why, D? We're serious. Okay. Do you think BEZ is talking about that fly right now? Of course not. <laughs> I know. Oh, no, they would do it ironically. You know, it's interesting. Uh, so many people are, it's trending on Twitter. 
the fly. <laughs> anyway, plenty of uh, political discussion with Miles Conflassen ahead of us. But before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man they call the human fly. With the, <laughs> with the news. Guys, I'm just saying, if the big observation from uh, the debate is uh, a fly, you know, wasn't much substance, I guess, last night. You know what I mean? That's all my point was. <laughs> Must have been very boring if we're all talking about a fly, you know? By the way, um, have you ever seen the movie? There's a movie, The Fly. You ever seen The Fly? Yeah. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. By the way, I just want to know that uh, De- Dennis and I, we're, we're sharing a uh, more wrestling of videos, which we will share with you. The, the hilarious one of Vince McMahon uh, in the hospital. D, we have to make a point of analyzing that. Because I think they could have learned a few things about humor. Oh, someone pinch me. I'm dreaming. We're talking about wrestling. <laughs> anyway, the young man from Alton with the news. How's it going, guys? I'm Dennis. Just saying. We're all talking about a fly. All right. Uh, We do have an update on Madigan Gate. The time utility bigwigs Commonwealth Edison admitted to arranging jobs, contracts, and payoffs to the associates of Illinois Democratic House Speaker Michael Joseph Madigan. And we will get to that. But first, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. When I was a kid, I loved the Batman TV show. I I agree. I, I loved it, too. Very good show. Not sure what it has to do with anything, but... Where did you get that one? I've been playing that for months, pal. Oh, my God. I just sort of, like, just paid attention to it. Right now, as we speak, Mayor Lightfoot is at the Chicago Cultural Center to announce the launch of the Together We Rise Recovery Initiative. I don't have any information on that. That's where it's going to move along. The mayor did preside over the Chicago City uh, Council meeting on Wednesday, and we have some of the details on what went down. Although many aldermen and women were calling it a power grab from the mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot pledged Wednesday to continue pushing for city hall controlling of zoning rules for some polluting industries. The council on Wednesday did not consider a proposal by Lightfoot to require city plan development review for large industrial developments, including certain industrial composting, manufacturing, and waste-related businesses that residents in many cases don't want near their homes. The ordinance failed to get enough votes to get out of the zoning committee this week, and after Wednesday's city council meeting, the mayor said she expects to push her ordinance through despite the opposition. She called the arguments against her proposal nonsense. Like the- <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved the Batman TV show. Damn good show. Joker got away every time. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Nonsense. That would just crack me up. Lightfoot said the current law allows a development to move in without seeking approval from anyone if a new tenant takes over. Here's the quote from Mayor Lightfoot. And folks, get ready for an aldermanic prerogative riff from Ben Jarofsky after I read this. Lightfoot said, quote, we have to change that around so this isn't about aldermanic prerogative or power. Oh, you like that quote. It is about making sure that residents are protected and that they have fair notice when somebody's coming into their neighborhood who can potentially endanger their health through air quality issues. We have to give residents a fighting chance and the ability to impact the kind of things going into their neighborhoods. Wow. All right. I haven't gone on an automatic prerogative riff in a while, D. It's like uh, Eddie Van Halen. I 
just bringing that name out. May he rest in peace, passed on the other day. Uh, doing a song from the 70s, 30 years later, and wondering, do I still remember the power chords? But as I sit here, it's coming back to me, D. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember this one. And for our out-of-state, out-of-town listeners, uh, this is like a parable. Even though it's very specific to Chicago, it's a parable, and you can learn from it. So what happened uh, in the last mayoral election is that Mayor Lori Lightfoot, assisted by a bizarre coalition of editorial board writers and lefties who should have known better but don't, starting to wish lefties almost didn't get involved in local politics sometimes. But anyway, should have known better. And uh, they created this myth called aldermanic prerogative that somehow or other all the ills of bad development deals or stupid moves that the city of Chicago makes are caused because all powerful aldermen are conceded too much power in their wards. And it's a myth. It's a myth because for the last 30 odd years, every dumb idea, if you can have a list, no, I should say every dumb idea, but the dumbest ideas have come from the mayor of the city of Chicago. I'll just give one classic one. Hey, here's an idea. Let's sell a parking meters that are worth $10 billion for $1 billion. And then the mayor twists the arm of the alderman to approve it. And they, the mayor gives the alderman talking points to read, which they dutifully read because they were puppets and rubber stamps. So that's how Chicago works. But in 2019, mayoral and aldermanic elections, they created this myth that somehow or other aldermen have the power when in fact they don't have the power. And it was just part of like, it, it was really worked well for Lori Lightfoot because it enabled her to continue her campaign as an outsider running against entrenched interests. Uh, so much the same way she used Ed Burke, you know, as a symbol of all that's corrupt uh, and uh, dysfunctional about Chicago. And it's a very, that one is accurate. The head of the finance committee has also got a property tax business. I think that is dysfunctional. Similarly, Michael Joseph Madigan will get to him. All powerful speaker of the house has a hand in every single bill that comes through the state house has a property tax. How is this legal or ethical? So I give her that point, but the automatic prerogative, all that does is say, we're going to shift the power from aldermen on things like a zoning matter to the mayor. The mayor already had the power. I mean, it comes to a city council. Any zoning decision comes to a city council vote. So if the mayor strongly opposes it, he or she can round up the votes to defeat the alderman. And in the last 20 years, I cannot recall one instance when the alderman voted to defeat the mayor's position on zoning. But I could think of several instances where the mayor rallied the alderman to defeat the local alderman's position. So it was a non-existent problem created, as I said, by a coalition of editorial writers and misguided lefties. It helped propel Lori Lightfoot's career. And now she's continuing to push it, D. And I don't blame the alderman for resisting. I personally would rather have my alderman get a say in these matters than some unseen, unknown bureaucrat at City Hall. And I realized, D, 
That having said that, once again, there's a... St- <laughs> Folks, you got to see the what? look. He just, what? He got, uh, I realized that there's still a few misguided lefties out there who are going to be outraged. Remember there was that one guy kept sending... I can't remember his name. Ben, you're so wrong. Oh, his you name know. was also Ben. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Get out the bong. Whoa. Who would have thought? What a world. What a coincidence. What a common anyway. name. <laughs> yeah. Ben, the two of us need look no more. Anyway, Alderman and Prerogative was a bogus issue then. It's a bogus issue now. Give him hell, Alderman. Oh, Ben Jarofsky is riffing today. Here, take this bottle. <laughs> I love when you smash the bottle. Another topic at hand during Wednesday's city council meeting, gender. And thanks to former rapper, now alderman Andre Vasquez, Ben of what ward? 40F40. Oh my God. Still a nerd, guys. Still a nerd. Nerd update. Still a nerd. Uh, But thanks to Alderman Vasquez, residents soon will be able to identify as non-binary on all city forms that ask for a person's gender. The city council approved an ordinance Wednesday to update the city's forms, paperwork, and templates to include the the gender neutral option and a space for pronouns. City employees will also be able to select MX as a gender neutral honorific on business cards and stationery. Alderman Vasquez introduced the bill and the bill will also prohibit the city from asking for a person's sex or gender unless it's required for medical reasons or by the law. We have a quote from Alderman Vasquez and no, the quote doesn't rhyme. He's not a rapper anymore, guys. He's an alderman now. Vasquez said, quote, We have lived in a world where so many of us have felt excluded or marginalized across our identities, and it's incumbent upon us as representatives to create an environment where all are welcome to live their authentic lives in every facet of it, including the workplace. The council approved the ordinance with no discussion. The law goes into effect within 60 days. Good. I have uh, Andre Vasquez is no longer a rapper D, but I'm a rapper. Oh, I'll do a rap. (laughs) I will now do a rap for Alderman Vasquez. Yo, AV, I love you. Can't you see? Uh, And uh, get it. That that was it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Oh, oh my God. You know, uh, just remind everybody uh, when he ran for Alderman, he was up against Pat O'Connor. Speaking of uh, rubber stamps for powerful mayors. He was the Pat O'Connor, very powerful alderman for many, many years, the floor leader for Daly, Richie Daly, and uh, Rahm Emanuel. And as such, he uh, shepherded through the city council some of the dumbest ideas that this city has ever encountered in the last 30 years. Thank you for nothing, Alderman O'Connor. But uh, O'Connor, desperate to hold on to his seat, dredged up all the lyrics, controversial lyrics, uh, many of them homophobic from Andre Vasquez's rap career. Remember this, D? Yeah. Uh, and uh, was at a debate. He read the lyrics and it kind of backfired because, first of all, Pat O'Connor's, I think we're the same age, Pat O'Connor and myself. So an old guy doing rap lyrics, you know what I'm saying, D? It just looks stupid. And um, <laughs> well, yeah, we just heard it. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Case in point, exhibit A, Ben's ode to AV. <laughs> so he uh, looked really stupid. And plus, they were really degrading lyrics that 
it, so when he when he read them, it looked like he was saying these horribly homophobic things. And then people are like, huh? Looking at him like, what are you doing? And O'Connor's going, no, I'm not saying this. I'm just reading what he said. Just bomb. Thank goodness. Uh, Andre Vasquez, to his credit, has uh, apologized, you know, for uh, his lyrics, said he's uh, grown as a human being. He's moved on from that. And I really appreciate that. I wish uh, all politicians could do that, could have the ability to say, you know, what I did was really stupid or what I did was really immature. Or what I really did was f- reflected, you know, some um, insecurities that I had, et cetera, and so forth. I moved on from that. So I give him credit. Andre Vasquez really has moved on from that worldview that he had back in the day. So good for you, Alderman Vasquez. Way to go, Andre. Uh, the live stream chat collectively agrees. Ben, never rap again. <laughs> so there you go. A quick city council recap. Of course, uh, you will hear more details from October 7th city council meeting when we talk with our city council beat reporter, Dave Glowatz, very soon on the Ben Jarofsky show. And no, Dave Glowatz will not be rapping either, okay? <laughs> All right, now let's talk about Madigan Gate. A lot has gone down this week with this. Quite frankly, a very tiresome story. But let's unpack the latest. Uh, Just to catch everyone up here real quick. Yes, ComEd admitted to arranging jobs, contracts, and payoffs to Mike Madigan Associates. Yes, Madigan says he has done nothing wrong and will not step down. Yes, Illinois Republican leaders have put together their own Madigan investigative trial right before the election in an attempt to give their uber anti-Madigan candidates a boost in the polls. Yes, although it's been kind of pathetic watching these thirsty Illinois Republicans, the trial has been somewhat effective. The longer it goes on, the less innocent Madigan looks. So that may explain today's Madigan Gate update. No, the Republican investigation into Mike Madigan's dirty doings will not continue until after the November 3rd election. Democratic representative and former guest on The Ben Jarofsky Show, Emmanuel Chris Welch, Democrat from Hillside. He's the chair of this uh, special investigative trial. Uh, He said he is delaying the proceedings to prevent the committee from being used as a stage for political theater. Here's the quote from Welch, quote, throughout this process, however, we have been made well aware that our Republican colleagues are wearing two hats. Oh, I I can relate with that. I wear several hats on the Ben Jarowski. Welch continues, uh, while sitting on a committee that is charged with conducting an impartial investigation based on the petition filed by Leader Durkin, the Republican members of this committee are also engaged in competitive political campaigns in which they have chosen to campaign almost exclusively against the speaker. At every step of this process, our cooperation has been accompanied with the proviso that we will not allow this committee to be used as a stage for political theater. Uh, and An admonishment, our Republican colleagues appear to have taken more as a challenge than as a reflection of this committee's serious work. Welch said that was particularly evident when Reps uh, Grant Worley of Naperville and Deanne Mazzocchi of Elmhurst took part in a news conference Monday with two other House Republicans effectively confirming their assumption of guilt and chiding Democratic opponents for not jumping to the same conclusion. We have more here, but we're going to pause there. Ben, your thoughts so far. One of my favorite topics, as we all know, Madigan Gate. Love talking about Madigan Gate because there's so many dimensions to it. 
Uh, most striking to me is the utter hypocrisy of Republicans. But I just want to uh, comment on something you said. I was listening to what you were saying, Dee. Uh, I think you were uh, paraphrasing Chris Welch, uh, the innocent innocence of Michael Madigan. Michael Madigan looks innocent or something like that. I had a smile on my face uh, when I heard that quote. The notion of innocent and Michael Madigan going into the same sentence uh, is a stretch. Michael Madigan is anything but innocent in the like the most generic definition of innocent, like a babe in the wood. Oh, come on, Ben. I'm an angel. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm innocent. I'm just an innocent guy. This is a master, a maestro. This is the... Illinois Democratic equivalent of Mitch McConnell. This is a guy who's memorized the legislative handbook, knows Robert's rules of orders inside and out, has like spends his every waking hour figuring out how he can get even more power than he already has, learns how to advance bills or hold back bills in order to protect the uh, incumbency of his caucus members uh, or to force people to come back to him with their hands out, seeking, you know, his approval for whatever they want. Uh, This is a guy who takes care of all the different interests in the state of Illinois. Unions, my beloved unions, takes care of their special interests, apparently takes care of Commonwealth's interests. But of course... If you want him to take care of your special interests, if you want to take care of what you have on your agenda, you got to give him a little something. It's called politics, master politics. Do I like it? No. The good government person inside of me despises it. I've been railing against it. But I find it really curious that Republicans would be so outraged. Outraged, I tell you by the political gamesmanship of one Michael Joseph Madigan and so silent about the political gamesmanship of just to pick one, Mitch McConnell. Or how about Robin Voss, who's the Republican leader of the Wisconsin legislature? He plays the same games in Wisconsin, worse. He won't even, Madigan at least, Madigan would work with Republican uh, governors until we had a lunatic an anti-union lunatic of Bruce Ryan. Madigan was always cutting deals with Thompson and George Ryan and Jim Edgar. He had problems. Holy crap, this guy's been around a long time. Yes, he has. So have I. <laughs> I remember all these things. But uh, Voss up in Wisconsin, he, he he's waging war against the uh, Democratic Governor Evers. And in Michigan, same thing. We'll be talking about that with Miles Camp-Flasson. So it's interesting, as long as those Republicans could just really keep a tight focus on Illinois, they will pound the drum about Michael Madigan and the legislative abuses, but to pretend as though the outside world doesn't exist. And Dia cannot go along with it. And I know I've said this many times, that as a reporter in Chicago, a columnist in Chicago, you're like, you're supposed to rail against Michael Madigan. It's like... That's what you're supposed to do. They'll take away your journalism card. They won't let you into the press club. I didn't even know there's a press club, but if there is one, they won't let you into it. Sorry, not going to join it. Sucker's game. Playing into Mitch McConnell's hands. Just unless it's rules for everyone, 
I'm not jumping upon that anti-Michael Madigan bandwagon. So I can't remember where I am, D, in terms of him stepping down. And I flip-flopped so many times on this issue. I've really lost track. Yes, you have, and I think uh, I've lost track, too. Uh, I believe you may have – I think you're back on he shouldn't resign. Shouldn't? Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's where I was. <laughs> I wanted to do a so I was flip-flopping again. So I'm sticking with the don't resign. All right? It's so irritating. Listen to these guys. Don't resign, Michael Joseph Madigan. By the way, let me just say this. Probably going to talk about this with Miles, but in last night's debate uh, where Kamala Harris didn't mention impeachment at all. This is just so to show you how strange the last four years have been uh, in Donald Trump's America. We went through this wrenching experience of impeachment. Donald Trump was impeached. It, the, the trial was held in the Senate the, on a party vote, with one exception, Mitch, uh, Mitt Romney voted with the Democrats. He was acquitted. Donald Trump was acquitted. So last night's vice presidential debate, D, D, I don't know if you noticed this, Kamala Harris did not mention impeachment Mike Pence, on the other hand, brought it up as a sign that Democrats were mean to Donald Trump. You know, that was his, because, you know, the question was, it was actually not a bad pivot. You know, talk about ducking and dodging. It was not, a, I got you know, Pence, that's not bad. Whoever thought of that? That's good. That's good. Because the question was, well, you know, Donald Trump has said that he will not honor the election. So Pence is like, what do you think about that, uh, Mike Pence? So Pence is like, oh, you know, it's, um, Democrats did, didn't honor the last election. Uh, they they were so unfair. Then he started crying. <laughs> they were so unfair to Donald. And I'm like, good good pivot, Pence. But what about Michael Joseph Madigan? Why don't you, if you're going to defend Donald Trump and how mean the Democrats are, making a big deal out of his crimes, what about Michael Joseph Madigan? He's not going to talk about that at the debate. People are like, who the hell's that? Right. Which is, like just a general thing. Let me tell you about Mike Madigan. Who? <laughs> Listen. Point is, if it's good for the Republicans in Springfield, it should be good for the Democrats in Washington. So that's why I'm not jo joining the bandwagon, D. So at the moment, I I guess I'm. There's no flip flop today. Well, you say that, but we got quite a bit of show left, so I got a feeling <laughs> it could still happen before today's show ends. One one column from Mark Brown. Yeah, D, Mark Brown raises a good point. Uh, and then, bye-bye. All right, so uh, we still got Madigan stuff to talk about here. Since that news, uh, to no one's surprise here, our political friends of the conservative persuasion here in Illinois have fired back at Welch, saying that he is acting to protect Michael Madigan. Republicans said Welch was acting to protect Madigan. Here's Illinois House Republican leader Jimmy D. Jim Durkin. <laughs> Durkin said, quote, Representative Welch's decision to postpone the Special Investigating Committee's work is a disgrace and a slap in the face to the governor, the General Assembly, and the citizens of Illinois. Representative Welch refuses to do anything except hide the truth about the corruption of Speaker Madigan and the Democratic Party of Illinois. This is just another example of Mike Madigan's double standard of the House rules. The rules of the House apply to all except 
him. The Illinois Republican Party also put out a press release calling on Governor J.B. Pritzker to demand State Representative Chris Welsh's uh, resignation <laughs> from the committee investigating uh. House Speaker Michael Madigan. Uh, the press release also reveals that Welch had failed to publicly disclose that his former law firm was paid hundreds of thousands of dollars by ComEd while Welch was a partner. Here's Illinois GOP spokesperson Joe Hackler. <laughs> It's just a funny name. (laughs) Joe Hackler said, quote, Welch should have disclosed these obvious conflicts of interest before accepting Madigan's appointment as chair of this investigation. We call on Governor Pritzker to demand Welch's resignation from the committee immediately. Yeah. By the way, uh, one thing we've learned is that Commonwealth Edison is passing around a lot of money in this state. A lot of people uh, at that trough. And one more time, I'll make this appeal. Hey, ComEd, what about us, huh? What about the Ben Jarofsky show? Why don't you kick a little money our way? Yeah, come on. We'll make it work. What do we have to do? Huh? Dennis will do the on-air reads. ComEd, we love you. Today's Ben Jarofsky show brought to you by ComEd. (laughs) Yeah. No, hey, um, that's pretty funny. Uh, Demanding. They're they're calling on Pritzker to demand that Chris Welch resign. Not going to happen, guys. It is, but I have to give them credit. This is what they got, and they got to play it. Uh, And it'll probably work to defeat the fair tax, because, again, the fair tax has to pass by over 50, uh, excuse me, by by 60% of the vote, not just a simple majority. If it was a simple majority, it would pass. But uh, I think this will help uh, defeat uh, the fair tax. It may make the difference for some Republican legislators uh, who are running in, um, you know, those purple districts, where more and more Democrats uh, are moving into. And and so, you know, there's that general feeling that Michael, it's sort of like what I've done with TIFFs in Chicago. People see those three letters, T-I-F, and they go, it's B-A-D. And that's uh, effectively what Bruce Rauner uh, has done with Michael Madigan and the Tribune as well. Uh, they've just turned Michael Madigan into a symbol of everything that's wrong with Illinois politics, whether it's fair or not. And a, a case could be made that it's very fair. Of course, there's many Republicans who are also part of this process. But be that as it may, it's a very effective tool. So, D, you know, I got to recognize him. It's a, a it's. They're playing their cards. That's the best card they got. They're going to play it. And uh, I don't do not believe it'll lead to Michael Madigan losing uh, his majority uh, in in the General Assembly. But I do believe it'll lead to the uh, defeat of the fair tax. And for that matter alone, it really irritates me. It grinds my gears. And I could go on and on about how the Democratic Party has dropped this issue. And it's Michael Madigan plays a a hand in that because Michael Madigan as a strategist, this gets back to my feelings about lefties being shoved into the corner and told not to embarrass them. Michael Madigan as a strategist did not advance throughout his political career when he had all that power. He did not advance uh, a progressive tax. It was only after J.B. Pritzker got elected that the progressive tax movement took on. And we could have used this long ago. Dawn Clark Natch was talking about this in 1994 when she ran against Jim Edgar. And the, the, 
the combination of powerful Democrats and Republicans, they did they stood against her on this issue. And the notion is that it's too controversial, it's too easily turned uh, into a tax hike uh, campaign ad, even though it probably lower a lot of people's taxes. It's the richer people who would pay more in taxes. Democrats stayed away from it. Michael Madigan kept it bottled up. So he's never been a true, true friend of progressives. He's a friend of unions. So that's very important. He kept Illinois from being a Scott Walker anti-union state. And for that, I give him a lot of credit. But he's not been a really lifelong champion of progressive uh, politics and policies. So it's kind of ironic that uh, he would become the chief, like the face that the Republicans use uh, to kill the fair tax. Uh, Illinois politics is a dirty game, D. A very dirty game. All right, live stream chat. Put in your bets now. I got Jarofsky flip-flopping in 30 minutes. What the rest of you, what do you guys got? Weigh in on the live stream chat. In other statewide news, aside from reading butthurt Republicans' Madigan emails all day, we have no public events scheduled for our Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. I'm not a perfect person. The governor did recently deliver some good news, though. Pritzker said that Metro East Illinois, an area that has been having its trouble battling the coronavirus pandemic as of late, uh, back in August, they surpassed the 8% positivity rate threshold, and surpassing that metric triggered additional rules such as a ban on indoor service in bars and restaurants. But hey, good news. The Metro East could see loosened COVID-19 restrictions as soon as Friday if the region continues on a downward trend in its number of coronavirus cases. The percentage of COVID-19 tests coming back positive fell from 6.7% on Tuesday to 6.3% Wednesday in the Metro East or Region 4, according to the Illinois Department of Public Health. The region includes St. Clair, Madison County, Bond, Clinton, Monroe, Randolph, and Washington. The governor said that this is a big progress. Pritzker said, quote, that's enormous progress. See, he said it right there, Ben. <laughs> he also said Region 4 could see a return to the looser restrictions enacted in most of the state as soon as Friday, perhaps. Anything you'd like to say there, Ben? Well, first of all, uh, we have a correspondent. The Ben Jarowski Show has a correspondent uh, in Madison County. Uh, he wears many hats on the Ben Jarowski Show, and that would be uh, Dr. D., uh, producer Dennis, and uh, he's from Alton, which is in Madison County, and he will be heading back home in Madison County this weekend. And so, D, your uh, assignment is to be our reporter, our man in the field. All right, all I right. Need, I need to know, are people wearing masks? Like when you go to a gas station, are people wearing masks? Uh, are bars open? Are people getting drunk at bars and spewing in each other's faces? Uh, are there still... Pritzker sucks signs everywhere. Uh, what else? Can, what else do I need you uh, to look into? Uh, are there any Biden signs in Madison County, or is, are there Pence Trump signs? There's a like lot of work that. you got me doing here. <laughs> I know, man. I'm tough. I'm tough on Doctor D. <laughs> if you ever heard the pre-show meetings. What do you got for me, D? Hurry up. I'm busy. Oh my God. I'm walking out. I'm sick of this, Ben. That's how it goes. We have this one routine that we do with that Dennis. Oh, 
Should I keep that a secret, Dave? I mean, what, what are you about to tell these people? That great routine that we do every day always cracks always cracks me up when he does this, ladies and gentlemen. So every morning I'll dutifully call Dennis. Hey, what you got today? You know, and, and <laughs> I don't know why I think this is funny. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I don't know why. It gets me every time. I go, so Dave, what you got for me today? He goes, oh wait, I thought it was Saturday. You mean I'm supposed to get something? <laughs> No, you'll go, D, what you got for me today? I go, huh? What? What What are you talking? Oh, my God. I'll call you back. But I have something. It's a little joke. He always has something. And he has it because he gets up early. That's the other thing. People in Alton still getting up early at 7 o'clock, chopping wood, smoking reefer? I need to know that, okay, D? All right. I'll let you know about the Pritzker (laughs) suck signs. That's about it. Okay. All right. You know, can't. Beggars can't be choosy. Dennis live here from Alton. Someone just called me a douchebag for wearing a mask. Back to you, Ben. And finally, speaking of this damn dirty coronavirus, it's time for an unfortunate 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. <laughs> this is a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. Update, 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 update. Oh, yep. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) This update comes from our Illinois Senate election between incumbent Democrat Dickie D, Dick Durbin, Mark Curran of the Republican Party, David Black of the Green Party, Danny Maloof of the Libertarian Party, and our dear friend Willie Wilson of the, and yes, this is the actual name, the Willie Wilson Party. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Dave Do It To It Strew It. Just made that one up. Uh, According to his campaign, U.S. Senate candidate Willie Wilson will self-quarantine for more than a week after testing positive for the coronavirus. Wilson, a prominent Chicago businessman, said that he's, quote, experiencing mild symptoms and is suspending in-person campaign events for the next 10 days. Wilson said he tested positive recently despite following precautions of wearing a face mask and social distancing. Here's the quote from Wilson campaign spokesman Scott Winslow, who also apparently tested positive for COVID. Oh, Uh, Scott, too? Scott, too. Oh. Uh, Scott said, quote, like so many of our uh, like so many of my fellow Americans, I am not immune from COVID-19. This is a disease that does not discriminate. However, I am confident that we will beat COVID-19. You know, last night at the debate, uh, the vice president, I was listening to what you were uh, reading that story, D. Uh, there was that closing question. Uh, from, I forget the girl's name, I think she was an eighth grader somewhere, and the basic bottom line to the question was, why can't Democrats and Republicans get along? And I had a lot of mixed feelings about the question, uh, how it was treated, uh, and the underlying assumptions. I don't know if there's really differences between the two parties. What's the point of really trying to paper them over? But anyway... I think a lot of people are asking that question. Why is there so much hostility? And uh, Mike Pence answered by talking about uh, Scalia, former Justice Scalia and uh, Justice Ruth Ginsburg, that they could like each other, even though they are ideologically far apart on all the issues. And uh, when I saw the headline today about Willie Wilson, I felt the same way. I genuinely like Willie Wilson. He has always been welcome on my show. Uh, He's always... 
he, he's a good guest. He speaks his mind. He's funny. Uh, he comes up with some great lines that we've been championing ever since. Uh, and in many ways, he's a great success story. Um, he's also, whether he wants to admit it or not, a Republican. Donald Trump supporter. Bruce Rauner supporter. Even though Bruce Rauner threw him under the bus. But, you know, D, it's like Mike Pence. I don't know about you, but it's like I got a Republican friend. Is, this, is anything wrong with that? Uh, I didn't know Scott Winslow had it as well. That's uh, Willie Wilson's longtime aide. And he's the guy who's always sending me press releases and stuff, and setting up the interviews. So, you know, I guess I don't know how many uh, Republican friends. I'm going to ask Miles, does he have any Republican friends? But Willie Wilson, uh, I always liked him. I, I do not agree with him on pretty much anything having to do with politics. Uh, I am urging everybody not to vote for him. In this election, well, if you're a Republican, go ahead, vote for him. In fact, I would say if you're a Republican, vote for him, not Curran, because Willie Wilson is way better than the Republican nominee, who, in my opinion, some of his positions are absolutely insane. So if you're going to, if you're, if you're a Republican, vote for Willie Wilson. So um, anyway, I felt genuinely bad when I saw this, D. I hope uh, Willie's, you know, it's like, going on this other tangent, like when Trump got COVID, you know, Democrats didn't know what to do. And I know many, I know, I'm going to, I know what you guys are saying. A lot of you Democrats, private conversations, uh, texts, Facebook posts, etc. A lot of you were jubilant, but the official line was like, you know, that's, you're not supposed to uh, take joy in somebody else's suffering, even though Donald Trump does that all the time. We're supposed to be the grown-ups in the room. So just keep it to yourself, even if Donald Trump would not keep it to himself. But in the case of Willie Wilson, I genuinely hope, Willie, that you get better, you come stronger, uh, and I look forward to you coming back on the show because uh, he's a good guy. Uh, in my humble opinion, Willie Wilson. And I love that when he gave out the money. All right. Yeah. I just, and it's so funny because Willie Wilson, that's when Browner threw him under the bus. Oh, get under that bus. <laughs> Browner was at the same event where Willie Wilson was giving out the money. This is uh, in 2018. And then Browner acted like, oh, I'm shocked. I didn't know about it. He did what? He did what? And now Browner is living in Florida. And what we're seeing in Florida is just shows you uh, more hypocrisy of the Republican Party. So there's rules in Florida that prohibit felons from voting. There were rules in Florida that uh, prohibit felons from voting, even if they serve their time. So the, the Democrats proposed an amendment that would uh, abolish that rule and enable felons to vote. And it passed. It was a referendum. The people of Florida spoke up. So what did the Republicans do? I thought this was the party that believed in state rights, and local rights, et cetera, and so forth. They appealed it uh, to the court, got the court to overrule it. Now they have a, l rules that say you can't vote uh, if you're a felon, if you have an outstanding fine. So Democratic operatives, Michael Bloomberg, have kicked in money 
that will pay off these fines that uh, felons, ex-felons have so they can go register. Republicans are outraged. It's buying votes. I thought of Willie Wilson when they uh, raised that outrage, D. You know, I thought of um, how they turned on, how Bruce Rauner turned on Willie Wilson. And uh, utter hypocrisy of the Republican Party is astounding because last night at the debate, Mike Pence was talking about, I call it the Kim Kardashian law that Donald Trump helped pass, give him credit for it, uh, that uh, enabled people who are locked up to get out of prison finally. So it was some criminal justice reform. I think it's about the only good thing that Donald Trump has done in his four years of being the president. But while they're doing that, they're down there in Florida trying to snatch away the voting rights of Floridians because every vote is precious for Donald Trump. He's down in the polls in Florida. He needs Florida to win. So all that talk about criminal justice reform out the window. Willie Wilson's a big believer in criminal justice reform, by the way. He's dedicated his life in many ways to that. Uh, I wonder how Willie, if he was on the show, I go, Willie, how could you stay loyal to this Republican Party? Anyway, D, all the best to Willie Wilson. Yeah, get well soon, Willie Wilson. And that was a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. That was a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. (laughs) And hey, this election, Chicago voters are casting a ballot on much more than the president of the United States. Some of the races we will be voting on include the Cook County State's Attorney, over 60 judges, our Water Reclamation District Commissioners, and changes to our taxes. With all these races, candidates, and issues, casting an informed ballot can seem like a challenge. But Chicago Votes, a nonpartisan organization, is there to provide you with information on the candidates and issues on the ballot. Yes, this is a live read, guys, in the middle of our news. Their 2020 voter guide is digitally uh, is available digitally at chicagovotes.com and chicagoreader.com pull it up on your laptop take it with you into the voting booth on your phone and feel confident in knowing who and what you are voting for isn't that right ben absolutely Thanks, Chicago Votes. Uh, before we uh, wrap it up here and get to Miles Camp Lassen, we do have some breaking news out of Michigan. And, well, you don't hear this every day. Uh, six men are under arrest at the moment for, quote, conspiring to kidnap Michigan's Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, from her vacation home before the November election. This is according to federal authorities. Uh, the arrest grew out of an FBI investigation begun in March into militias groups discussing the violent overthrow of certain government and law enforcement officials and each of the men faces up to life in prison if convicted of the federal charges very interesting is it not Ben? Yeah, it's a breaking story out of michigan uh and a shout out to frank listener frank sent me a text about it about an hour before the show uh, miles is all over it we're going to be talking about it with miles uh, both frank and uh, frank great minds think alike uh frank and miles uh sent me <laughs> the text a copy of um Donald Trump's tweet that uh, from, uh, from three months ago when Operation Gridlock was breaking out. Dave, remember, we talked a lot about Operation Gridlock uh, and liberate Michigan. Some of these uh, people were par- participated in Operation Gridlock, which is a protest against Whitmer. Uh, so I think, you know, it's so ironic that uh, Mike Pence and Donald Trump go hard at the left 
and the Democratic Party and use like these like this little dog whistle phrases that put def- Democrats on the defense when there's these kinds of uprisings going with people who worship Donald Trump. I just Republicans, you got to look in the mirror. You know, I may, I may, I joke about it with the Michael Joseph Madigan stuff, but you got to look in the mirror, Republicans. This is what you've unleashed. And even if the, we do succeed in defeating Donald Trump and taking back the Senate, so we have some sanity uh, in Washington. It won't even be like the leftist policies that I want. It'll just be sanity. You still have unleashed so much hatred, Republicans. This is on your watch. This is your responsibility. And for once, I wish like the Jim Durkins of the world would concentrate on this as opposed to suddenly being outraged by what Michael Joseph Madigan is up to, even though they've known about it all along. So, uh, yeah, we'll be talking about this with Miles uh, in the next segment, Dee. All right, and that's coming up very, very shortly, so don't go anywhere. It is the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment in his attic Michael Girardi, a new low.
Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, October 8th, is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Miles Kampflassen joining us, uh, editor, writer in these times, Jacobin Magazine, Whitney Young grad, rock star, Bulls fan, in denial, like me, uh, and uh, all around great guy. Miles, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, so much to talk about. Uh, I had a general assignment that I gave to you about the debate. Get your thoughts on the debate. So we'll have that conversation. My theme of the day, which I want to love to get your thoughts on. Uh, as much as I urge absolutely everyone to vote for Joe Biden, I find it annoying that as a lefty, we're always being told to sit in the corner. Shut up. Don't embarrass anybody. That was on full display at the debate last night and in the first debate uh, we'll talk about the fair tax in Illinois. <clears throat> Two stories, uh, or three stories that have emerged uh, since um, I've been on the air, the indictments uh, in Michigan, people under arrest for allegedly trying to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. I've been saying that you might have more details for us on that. And these two stories, Miles, I got to get your comments on these before we leave the air. We will we'll hold them off. These are breaking uh, I was just noticed this on my phone while we were listening to that uh, Michael Girardi song. One is the virus cure that uh, Donald Trump has touted. I don't know if you've seen this. It just broke. was created with cells originally derived from fetal tissues, a practice he has uh, uh, condemned, a practice that Mike Pence has condemned, a practice that evangelicals have condemned, a practice that's been condemned by the right since the days when you were a young scholar at Whitney Young. And I remember George Bush giving a speech on the subject, you know, a national speech on the subject. And here's, the, the, I can't, the, the hypocrisy of the Republican Party drives me insane sometimes, Miles Kamplassen, because here's Donald Trump broadcasting his support for this cocktail that has saved his life. I'm going to provide it for everyone in America. Wait a minute. Uh-oh, get me rewriting that one. For free. Anyway, I mean, he said he was going to get it to everybody for, for free. There's no, I mean, there, there there's absolutely no uh, plan for that. I mean, he just said it in a, a video, but yeah, it's completely absurd. You cannot imagine that this administration would suddenly shift gears and support uh, something like that, which they've been so radically against you're very you know right on to point out how this is a drug that was developed through you know u.s government financed research and development and yet it's uh something that the administration has uh shown itself to be completely opposed to all right uh that's a a good way to segue into um my criticism of last night's debate my uh criticism as a lefty and i'd love your thoughts on this uh, Miles doesn't make any bones about it. Uh, he was a Bernie supporter, and uh, he's a true blue lefty, as am I. And, you know, Miles, it's, it's like it's annoying when all the things that I want government to do have been reduced to these dog whistles that uh, the Pence and Trump blow on to scare America into turning against uh, Biden and Harris, who are really mainstream Dems, you know, like they'll, and last night it was like socialized medicine. 
as opposed to Medicare for all or, you know, Green New Deal as opposed to sane environmental policy. They, like the ominous packed a court, you know, when they talk about uh, putting on Amy Coney Bear. What's your reaction to all this? Well, I think there's really two different kind of political realities in this country, and it's a result of this extreme polarization that's nothing new, but it's certainly accelerated under the Trump regime and under, you know, this era of kind of what we call, uh, you know, fake news. The real fake news, obviously, is, uh, you know, Fox News and this whole ecosystem on the right that has been uh, developed to... Um, continue to feed the flames of these kind of conspiracy theories and fear mongering. Um, and particularly when it comes to anything involving uh, government and government intervention. And of course that's been a long time uh, goal and strategy of the right. So in that way, it's not novel, but uh, the, the extent to which it has become embedded in the Republican, the official Republican party's entire approach, I think is, uh, was on display in that debate as it was in the first one. I mean, it, it, it's hard for people who don't spend their time consuming right-wing talking points to even get their heads around a lot of the things that uh, Pence and even Trump were saying, whether it was you know Trump going on about Hunter Biden and all these uh, ridiculous conspiracies, um, or whether it's you know uh, trying to signal through things like saying the Green New Deal is going to you know end jobs for everyone in America, these are all kind of the um, this these are flames that have been stoked on, in right wing media for so long, and those are the uh, that's why you have Pence signaling to those things. Whereas you're right to point out, it, it's very easy to counter those things by just saying, hey, we clearly need to deal with the um which at least uh, you know harris did say that climate change climate change is an existential threat i don't think she made as strong enough a case of how it's you know we need a solution in this administration's only solution has been to call it a chinese hoax essentially and to pull out of accords and to try to isolate uh, the united states even further um on issue after issue you bring up whether it's medicare for all or whether it's um having a m- more government intervention in the economy in general. I mean, one thing that I think was a big missed opportunity was the fact we just, as a you know country, sent out $1,200 to every individual, um, most every individual, and we, you know, pumped up the unemployment insurance by $600 a week. That's over now because of the, uh, you know, cruelty, I'd say, of the, of the GOP. They decided that they don't want to help uh, struggling Americans anymore. But that was just a huge economic boost, not only on a macroeconomic scale. I mean, consumer spending actually went up as a result of uh, that in the midst of a pandemic, which shows how on edge so much of our population of our country is. But also on an individual level, it just helped to pull people out of poverty. Just the simple act of giving people a $1,200 check or, and or a $600 a week uh, enhanced unemployment benefit. So those are the ways that the government can and is, you know, showing itself to help people in their lives and this constant demonization of government takeover by the right. I just think it rings hollow in the face of such a deep, deep crisis uh, as COVID-19 has been, not just on a health scale, which we can see in the fact that the, you know, White House is now a hotspot. There's over 30 cases. They have more cases than a number of countries, uh, including New Zealand. 
um, and are ma- make up a huge portion of the actual active cases in uh, D.C. right now. Uh, so clearly we're not over the hump when it comes to the pandemic as a health crisis, but also the economic uh, devastation that's resulted from it and just the uh, malevolence of the Republican Party and especially Trump and backing away from any stimulus Uh, talks right now and just saying, hey, we're going to deal with that after I win the election and just turning his head from uh, the struggles that working people are going through. So, I mean, I I think that this was not surprising. And this is how the GOP, you know, and Pence approached this debate was just to castigate big government and try to frame Harris as uh, emblematic of the radical left. But yet again, it just is more left punching on both sides, because as you saw what Harris's strategy was to point out how like, you you know, Governor Kasich, a uh, hardcore you know, Republican, is supporting their ticket, and Cindy McCain. Um, so it's, it, it, you know, it's moderation, and that always happens in the general election, but you're right to point out how that puts those of us who believe in a strong social safety net and in redistributive universal programs, um, we're always the ones that are told to just keep our mouths quiet until, uh, until the election. Well, uh, I'm, I'm just going to... Uh, disagree with you on one minor point moderation always happens uh, in the general election i see no attempt whatsoever uh, on the part of donald trump to moderate uh, his positions at all i mean it's so obvious with their they're pushing uh, amy coney barrett through uh, that this they see this uh, it's it's all out war and they're not backing down an inch i have not seen donald trump on the issue of health care, as we speak, it's so bizarre to listen to these debates, Miles, because Donald Trump and Mike Pence promise a health care plan. We're going to have a greatest health care plan of all time. They've had four years to implement a health care plan. They've not put anything on the table. They still don't have anything on the table. And this is the part that really irritates me. They have their lawyers in court paid for with my tax dollars, your tax dollars, trying to, to uh, destroy what health care we have and Obamacare. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting dynamic. The Republicans think that they could be successfully, they could be successful in a nationwide election by being extremists. But Democrats are so cautious about their, uh, New Deal values that they move away from them. They feel like they have to move away from it. It's an interesting dynamic there. I agree with you. I mean, I, I really meant the Democrats when I said you. Oh, they always moderate in the general. You're right. The Republicans consistently. I mean, look at how Donald Trump has run his entire campaign. It's just been digging into uh, all the issues that uh, the donor class wants to wants to see whether it's you know cutting corporate taxes or whether it's you know even uh his executive orders he recently signed on this payroll tax cut it's just a backdoor scheme to uh essentially slash social security and 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 effectively defund uh social security so uh but you're right to point out that in the campaign approach that said rhetorically they are trying to say things like we're going to get you better health care we're going to make sure your pre-existing conditions are covered they're even attacking biden for trying to go after social security at the same time they're doing it so i think they're trying to perform some kind of political jujitsu and say we are the real party that stands with working people of course if you look at their i mean they're in power and our economy is in shreds and just look around you. I mean, all the small businesses, we could see 
you know, four out of five small businesses go out of, uh, uh, within the, within a year go out of business. That's, you know, great depression level of economic devastation. So for them to say that we're, you know, helping the American worker or we're somehow, you know, revitalizing the American economy. And this is the first time I can remember. I mean, I know I'm fairly young, but I've, you know, studied politics for a long time and I've never seen an an incumbent administration try to run on, which is what Pence essentially did again last night, on where the economy was and where the country was over six months ago. And so just remember that. Remember how good that was? You know? than where we are right now. It's uh, unbelievable. And trying to basically say all the things that have happened in those months are the fault of uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden, including the protests, you know, over racial injustice, which have occurred under Trump's watch. And and we've seen how his uh, over-the-top approach by sicking, you know, federal agents on protesters has resulted in this real crisis um, in the streets and this crisis of democracy. I mean, the one point I want to make is just the whiplash I had at the end of that debate from going to the, the final two questions. If you remember, you, you pointed out the, the last one earlier about, you know, the spirit of bipartisanship and there's too much, uh, you know, vitriol in our politics. Well, that question from an eighth grader came after a question about like essentially what is going to be your role if there's like an authoritarian coup under this administration and you know trump refuses to take office and you have the sitting vice president refuse to commit to a peaceful transition of power um and you know pence got away with that he didn't actually have to uh give a clear answer on that that's what we're facing we're facing a true crisis of democracy where the president is openly saying he might not leave office he's telling his supporters to you know go to polling stations and intimidate voters and to be on alert in case they need to you know protest the democratic result of this election and then to go from that the whiplash to go from that to then like why can't we all just get along as democrats and republicans well you can't get along if one party is just refusing to leave office after a legitimate election so i think that all of the issues were, were really on the table even if they were like presented in a more civil way in this debate than in the previous one but the crisis that our democracy is facing i think is was on as clear display as ever last night uh that's an excellent point i i overlooked that last question there was a uh, a Tony Preckwinkle moment, uh, Miles, uh, by Mike Pence. He had several of them, and by that I mean I don't know if you heard this portion of the show, but uh, I've covered Chicago politics a long time, and I long ago learned uh, that uh, Cook County uh, Board President Tony Preckwinkle is the master of uh, answering whatever question you ask with whatever she wants to say, whether it relates to your question or not. Sometimes it's funny to watch her do. I think you were at the hideout the night uh, she did it with uh, McDumkey myself yeah. uh it was just smile when she does it because it's it's so obvious and it was so blatantly obvious with pence last night that they would ask him that question he would just well let me go back to the question he said before and then ignore the uh, yeah. do you think that was just strategic on his part go ahead I, I agree. I mean, I think that's it's a tried and true practice. You know, even in media trainings, they tell you to answer the question you want to be asked rather than the one you are. So, I mean, that's, it's not exactly shocking that that's the tack they'd take. But I just say Chris Wallace at the last debate really opened the door to that, I think, by, if you remember, he said, you have two minutes uninterrupted, You don't, but you don't have to answer the question. You can talk about whatever you want, is what he said to Trump. So I think the Trump team, not that they weren't planning to do this already, but really took that as open mm-hmm. theory to just, you know, okay, we have two minutes. 
we were just going to try to get our, our, our message across and just pretend like the moderator is not even there asking questions, you know, and just use this as an opportunity to keep on plugging away at those same kind of Fox News style talking points that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris represent the radical left. Um, on that point, though, you know, you pointed out earlier that Trump had said at the previous debate, you just lost the left to Biden. That's something that Fox News has really taken up. And uh, I mean, I remember seeing their commentary after the last debate. That's what they were running with. They said, well, Biden lost the debate because he alienated the whole left wing of his party by like disavowing the left. And they said similar things uh, uh, last night after the VP debate. It's just uh, to me, it's mind boggling because the left wing is going to vote for, they're not going to vote for Trump. They're, you know, by, they're going to vote for, for Biden. People like myself, we see the threat that this administration has to um, not just uh, a future, a potential future for progressive politics in the U.S., but just from maintaining the basic, um, you know, cornerstones of our democracy in this country. So we're not, you know, you can, they can disavow the Green New Deal and stuff, but Biden, that's not how these elections work. They're not going to lose their base. The problem is winning over, you know, independent voters, however many of those there are anymore. So I just think that's such a strange electoral calculus they've taken as to try to get, like, trick Biden and Harris into uh, critiquing the left or, you know, distancing themselves from it as a way to like peel off voters from the left. Like that's not, that's just not going to happen. That's like a Fox news world fantasy. And yet it seems to be animating Republicans. Yeah. I, I know it's so bizarre. I mean, by the way, I give you credit. People tease me when they hear that I, I read tribute editorials and read John Cass. Uh, well, I, you know, I have open minds to see what, you know, these lunatics are writing, but I got to give you credit. You were watching Fox News commentary after the debate. I don't even, even I don't go that far. Um, I, think, I think it's far more interesting than, than much of the kind of liberal media stuff, because we know what that's going to sound like and what they're going to say and everything. But in terms, I mean, still Fox News, obviously the most watched cable news station. So that's where most people are getting their commentary. So I just think in that sense, it's um, it's it's helpful. But it's also just good to know, like how this how, how the right wing is is operating. If you want to, you know, oppose if you want, if you want to have a real opposition to your you know, political opponents, you got to understand where they're coming from. I think I, I'm, I'm with you uh, about that. So I figure I get enough of that with the, uh, all the tea party emails I get every day, 20 an hour or so. So I'm getting my share of them. And I, and like I said, uh, I read the uh, insanity of John Cass and the tribute editorial board. So between now and that, I pretty much know where the right is. Uh, but yes, uh, it's interesting because no lefty, I mean, it's, it's so insulting. The, the notion that a leftist would be watching that debate, that first debate, which is not is a debate only in name, uh, in no way resembles a true debate. Uh, we'll get into that. I'm going to ask you about that because I think you were in the debate team at Whitney Young. Um, so it does not re- in any way resemble a, a real debate. The notion that Donald Trump goes, there goes the left. <laughs> and just the thing, I don't know any lefty in the world that would go, yeah, I'm with you, Donald. You know what I mean? It's just utterly yeah. absurd. Just yeah. for a moment. I, I just got to ask you this, man. Yeah. Were you on the debate team? I have this memory that you were on the debate team. You no, know, I was not, but um, uh, my, my older brother was, and I would. Uh, I was such a nerd, though, that I would come <laughs> and hang out with the debate team um, okay. while they were doing their like studies through those just like massive binders of documents and stuff. So, no, I was not uh, personally on it, though. 
Uh, I was on the debate team at Evanston High School for about a week till I realized how much work it was, and then I quit because uh, <laughs> uh, I had more uh, baseball to watch and basketball. But I know the rules of debate. Miles, could you imagine if they officiated uh, the presidential vice president of debates like a high school debate where they really were rules and they, and you were uh, you, you were accountable for breaking the rules? Last night, Mike Pence broke so many debate rules. They said, stop talking. He kept talking. You know what I'm saying? I, that was just one example. The other one, the classic one, where he just doesn't answer the question. It's, it's got to be some way. Well, it'll never happen in our lifetime because these are political spectacles. But wouldn't it be something if they could just hold them to the rules of an actual debate and judge them? by the rules that every high school debater is following in this country. This is, uh, it's just a uh, absurd pageant at this point. There's no real substance. I mean, even last night was so devoid. It was a, a, a real debate over the future. I mean, it's such a critical moment in our country. It's a true disservice to our democracy that this is how these debates are being run and honestly how they're being moderated. I think that, um, you know, people had been cheering on Chris Wallace somehow for, you know, doing his best when he just let Donald Trump walk all over uh, both him and Joe Biden. Uh, the other night. And then Susan Page, I mean, I don't know about you, but after watching that uh, debate, I, you know, had this uh, voice in my head all night just going, thank you, Vice President Pence. Thank you. Because that's all she did. You know, she just kept thanking him rather than actually stopping him from uh, talking over her and taking up more time to, you know, answer whatever the hell he wanted to when it came to, um, yeah, the format of it. So I do think that that's uh, a, a real problem. And at this point, as we know, you know, new developments today, Trump has refused to participate in the upcoming debate because, you know, he won't he won't go through all the steps it would take to prove he's not contagious with COVID anymore. Understandably, you don't want two elderly uh, individuals who are fighting to become the next president in the same room when one of them is still contagious with a deadly disease. Um like COVID. So he, you know, ruled out doing a virtual debate because for that very reason, you pointed out, he said, because they can cut off your mic if you're doing it virtually, which, you know, if you, if you participate in a lot of more professional debates, yes, that's what happens. Your mic gets turned off after your, after your time to talk. So, you know, Trump is clearly, we might've seen the last presidential and vice presidential debates of this cycle. Now, what Biden is saying is that they should just do the next one on the 22nd of October. I have a feeling that that's not going to, to, to happen either. Uh, they see that Trump's polls num poll numbers went down after the last debate. Um, and Pence, you know, I think he probably got the Republican base feeling more comfortable with the ticket after his performance last night. But the problem is that Pence has no base. He's not an heir to Trump or Trumpism uh, whatsoever. And honestly, I think that this race would probably be closer at this point uh, if the Republican senators had just decided with Democrats and worked to get rid of Donald Trump when they had the chance, you know, through the impeachment hearings. At this point, it's clearly just a, uh, an albatross around their neck to, to deal with uh, uh, Trump, who is certainly not going to help the chances of the Republican caucus in the Senate, which is, I think, is what Republicans really care about. Well, I, to your point, when I was watching the debate last night, I was struck by the obvious contrast between the style of Mike Pence and the style of Donald Trump. And uh, Mike Pence was far more conventional 
in how he went about his business than Donald Trump has ever been. Uh, so uh, the obvious point to make is that that conventional style was rejected by Republicans in 2016. They wanted Donald Trump, and now they have Donald Trump, and so they're stuck with him. But watching Pence, it gave me a notion of what to expect in the post-Trump era. You know what I'm saying? They could still, there's still Republicans who could play that game. I think he was totally insincere, and his policies were every bit to the right where Donald Trump's are, but he played the game, Miles. You know what I'm saying? He was a little more restrained. He didn't, you're right, he broke pretty much every rule. Of the, you know, now that I'm saying it, I'm just thinking, really, all he did was not yell. Well, you and me, Ben, we're, you know, we understand this kind of Midwestern nice. Uh, you know, Mike Pence is from Indiana. He go, he knows how to compliment Kamala Harris. He knows how to, you know, give her her due and then just go on to spit vile and, you know, and, and claim that we're that the Democrats are going to like take away all the jobs that they're going to, you know, put people uh, in you know some kind of horrible health care situation when, as we're seeing, as you just pointed out there in court right now, trying to take away pre-existing uh, uh, condition coverage. So I, I, I think that he, you're right. He knows how to play the game. Um, but a lot of that was, was was way more style than substance. And as you pointed out before, you know, the um, the, the, the spirits, the you know, the the, the the alchemy of the world kind of combined to uh, cast a spell upon him, which you could see in uh, our insect friend that decided to, to land upon his head in the middle. Of the- <laughs> We're not allowed to talk about that. Dennis disapproves of talking about the fly, but it was hilarious. I got to admit, it just. It, it, it was just like a moment just there was stripped the that phony spectacle as you pointed out of any dignity whatsoever to some fly and everybody's tweeting about it you know I'm like is that a fly what the, you know um, there's people i haven't talked with which maybe they would have had the fly not landed on his head but i mean it looked like a medical issue but he's his eye his left eye was uh, uh bloodshot or filling up with blood throughout the, the the debate so you have these you know various scenes of him looking over and his eye looks like it's really not doing well and then a fly lands on his head and you know you can't just ha- you can't help but think it's a little emblematic of you know the the, the rot at the core of uh, uh, this party and this administration. Yeah, a symbol. All right, let me get, uh, ask you a question that gets goes back to the Democratic side. And I was noticing a distinction in uh, Kamala Harris's responses. And I'm sure all their responses, they, they, they've anticipated every conceivable question that is likely to be asked, and they have a response uh, that is poll-tested, et cetera, and so forth. That's how these games are played. So there's... Uh, Two direct jabs that Pence following up on Trump made. One has to do with they want to ban fracking, which is obviously intended to uh, stir up voters in Pennsylvania and win Pennsylvania. And the other is the more general term. They, Whenever uh, Democrats raise a question is asked about Amy Coney Barrett, they go, they want to pack the court. Talk about packing the court. Tell, see if you admit you're going to pack the court. That they keep that Trump did that to Biden, Pence did that uh, to Kamala Harris. Interesting co- uh, contrast in response. Kamala Harris would shake her head when it came to fracking. No, no, no. We don't believe in a ban in fracking. When it comes to packing the court, just like Biden, 
she just ignores it. She pulls a Tony Preckwinkle and answers whatever she wants. I've I've noticed that. I don't know if you've noticed that, and you have. Talk about a little about that. What what do you think's going on there? Where they have a, a direct denial on one, and they don't say with the other. Well, I just think they don't want to take the focus off of the hypocrisy at the you know that's driving the GOP strategy right now, which is just to ram through this nomination, especially, which is incredibly unpopular if you look at polls, especially when it comes to the fact that, you know, the Senate, Larry Kudlow has openly said, look, we don't have enough time to do both another stimulus and get this Supreme Court nomination through the Senate. And so we're going to do the second one, you know, and, and, and just throw all their chips in that. Whereas, you know, poll after poll not only shows, as Harris pointed out, that the American people want the next president, uh, whoever it is to pick the next justice rather than have it be in Coney Barrett. Um, but also that they want to see the con- the Congress actually pass a relief bill to provide help to American people by incredible numbers uh, before they do anything regarding a Supreme Court nomination. So I think it's the, the, the strategy on the uh, Biden-Harris side is simply to, you know, not get distracted with that. Also, just on, you know, in terms of how she approached that question, the question was asked by Mike Pence, not by the Susan Page, not by the moderator. So I think she just wasn't trying to get caught up in answering uh, uh, questions directly from Mike Pence, but focus strictly on the questions from the moderator. Of course, she dodged it. I mean, she, she as Biden did as well. And I think it was probably smart because there will need to be, if the Republicans succeed in this, essentially having held hostage uh, the the seat that was um, that, then taken by. Uh, that, that Merrick Garland was set up to, to, to be in that then became Gorsuch's seat. Um, and then of course, pushing through Brett Kavanaugh, Republicans have now, you know, if they get through a third one under Trump, they'll have a six, three majority, which basically will foreclose on any progressive policy in this country from being overruled by the, uh, the hard right Supreme court. So they need to keep their options open in terms of what will happen. And right now they're just focused on trying to stop this nomination or at least try to summon the American people to come out and vote in record numbers, uh, as you know, by being motivated by this, uh, right wing takeover of the court. Um, when it comes to fracking, I think she's just falling in line with where Biden is. I mean, Biden's always been refused to disavow fracking and even in any of his climate plans, uh, including the, the manifesto is, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, just these basic recommendations put out by um, task forces. Even that didn't call for um, the the end of fracking. That said, I think, you know, there's plenty of polling that shows actually Pennsylvania voters are open to uh, turning away from fracking because of the environmental harm that it causes. Uh, So I don't think that's necessarily strategically the best thing to do, but that's what the Biden camp has decided to do. And you're probably right that it has to do in their calculation with not scaring away voters in Pennsylvania um, and those voters shouldn't be scared away because I doubt that a, a, a Biden-Harris uh, administration would do that or at least would plan to do that. So much of whatever the next administration does is going to depend on uh, organizing and activism uh, and advocacy and 
you know, the streets and by social movements and by uh, groups that are looking to build a progressive future, not just from whatever the, the, the plans are right now of a, a Biden-Harris campaign. So that's my kind of take on the, you know, uh, outlines of why I think she went harder on the disavowing fr- the fracking than she yeah. did on uh, the Supreme Court. You know, you raise an excellent point uh, of just from that moment. There's no reason Kamala Harris should uh, dignify Mike Pence's tactics by responding to his question. And and Biden, same thing. OK, this is not how the debate works. You don't get to ask questions. The moderator asks the question. OK, not you. You're not the moderator. I wish sometimes they would say that. You know what I'm saying? Which is sometimes yeah. or, or, or I'll pick a question to ask them. You know what I mean? All right, I'm going to ask you a question. Proud boys, you're with them or against them? They say you're with them. They themselves, you know what I'm saying? I would, if you're going to start asking questions, okay, we get to ask questions too, right, Miles? And there's so many questions that, you know, she could have asked him. Like, do you feel comfortable with the administration's response to uh, a pandemic that's left over 200,000 Americans dead? Is this the worst response in the world of any developed country? You know, would you feel comfortable being in a room with the president right now? You know, all these things that are, you know, just just show the real face, the real reality of the the crisis that this administration has caused. Instead of Pence just tried to whitewash all of that and, you know, pretend that this is just a normal election. Uh, And I think voters know that it's not. Yeah, uh, absolutely. By the way, I believe it's pretty obvious to me uh, that Donald Trump's eagerness to get uh, Barrett on the court uh, is that he thinks that his his appointees will tag team with with, uh, Thomas uh, and and Alito to vote any way they can, uh, justifying it with any old gobbledygook they can come up with uh, to put him back in office. I think he's just I don't I don't do not believe Donald Trump cares one bit about abortion. I know that's what drives Amy Coney Barrett, obviously, you know, and that'll be her mission in life uh, to destroy abortion rights in this country. But I don't believe Trump does. I personally this is a late moment of anti-abortion on his part. He was for Planned Parenthood and abortion in the 90s. So I don't believe he cares about it one whit, but he does care about himself, Miles. So I think he's pushing to get her in because he thinks she's just going to be a rubber stamp, like in the old days with Mayor Daley and Rahm Emanuel, the alderman, you know, just do whatever the boss says. Uh, And I think that's what he's up to. What's your thoughts about how this will play out? Yeah, well, that's they're 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 making no, you know, uh, question about that. They've been very clear, not just Donald Trump, but Republican senators. I'll say that this election could come down to uh, a court decision, and therefore there needs to be uh, nine justices so that there is not an even split. And we know if Amy Coney Barrett gets confirmed that that justice will side with Trump on any kind of uh, questions of the, you know, the actual validity of the election result. We know that happened in uh, uh, Bush v. Gore, and that's ultimately decided the 2000 election and put George Bush uh, in power and helped lead us on a road towards uh, devastating uh, ongoing war in Iraq that led to over a million Iraqi deaths. I mean, this is, 
when we when we think about jurisprudence in this country, I think we need to be clear that there's always a political motivation behind it. And these are not, you know, umpires calling balls or strikes. And at this point, it's mask off. I mean, the Republicans are very clear. We're going to get this person in so that there, if there is a question about the results of the election, they'll be on our side. Um, and, and, you know, and that's their argument, essentially, that they're giving to the American people right now of why they need to hurry this up. American, by all the polling, the American people are buying it, but that hasn't stopped them from going on, you know, Sunday talk shows and continuing to make that argument. Um, so I think it's incumbent upon Democrats to do everything they can to block the nomination, to slow it down and make sure that it doesn't happen. It doesn't seem like that's a possibility right now based on, you know, what's going on and how Trump has now walked away again from stimulus negotiations. Um, but I think that needs to be the number one priority because this, I keep saying crisis of democracy, but I think if we have another election decided by the Supreme Court, especially if it overturns a democratic mandate um, and a popular vote for a Biden-Harris ticket, there's going to be um, huge amounts of political turmoil in this country, and I think it's going to spill out into, into the streets and into the public. And why would we want to set up the conditions to make that a possibility by putting a hard right jurist on the Supreme Court right now? It just boggles the mind, but that's what the Republicans have decided that they want to do, and that they're open and willing to uh, to broadcast, they're not even hiding it anymore. Do you th- do you think that uh, tactically, uh, Kamala Harris and Biden should have made that point in the debate? And you just made a very uh, outstanding point that I think would have had resonance with voters, particularly the Democratic base. See, more more you know, to use a basketball med- medical metaphor, Miles. I look at Biden and Harris, and they've been the polls have been in their favor for the last two weeks, definitely. And I got the feeling they're doing politically what basketball teams do, where they dribble out the clock uh, in the old days in college ball, where there was no time clock. You could dribble out with started with three minutes left. And to me, they're like dribbling out the clock. They're not going on the offensive. So just what you said was an excellent point that Kamala Harris could have made last night when the issue came. She goes that he wants a rubber stamp on that. Supreme Court to steal this election, to confirm him stealing this election. That's why he wants it. Let's be honest. They don't say that. You, you know what I mean? They're so namby-pamby in their response. You think it would be better tactically if they said it? I think so, but they're not asking my advice. I mean, I think there's so many, there, there, there's so much timidity uh, uh, on the Democratic establishment side, and there always has been. Um, th- in this case, I think there's some justification for it simply in that you're right like they're ahead and voting is happening right now and i'm sure if i was like you know in the spin room that's what everybody would be saying is uh, after the debate they'd be saying well harris succeeded because she didn't you know cause she didn't have any major gaffes she didn't like cause any moments that everybody's talking about afterwards the only moment people are talking about is the fly on the head so, <laughs> you know way better than if kamala had which is interesting because that's so different from her if you remember her debate performances in the primary when she was going after biden over the busing issue and she kept trying to make these moments to kind of you know stand apart from the rest of the pack Whereas this time, you're right, I think she just um, was way more just, you know, hammering home, attacking the Trump administration on their COVID response and just otherwise trying to, you know, easy sailing so that there was no uh, 
big issue that then the media focused on or that she could have opened herself up to attacks for. But I think there were plenty of missed opportunities in terms of hammering home the, um, uh, you know, complete uh, disaster that this administration has been. I mean, she kept saying that, but you got to put a point on it to drive it home for people, especially because, as I said, it's quite possible that this was the last debate we're going to see between these two campaigns before um, before Election Day. Yeah, I, I'll just go back. I'm going to give uh, Kamala Harris. I'm going to just sip some more of my Kamala Kool-Aid. I like her way more than any guest who comes to my show likes her. Uh, when she's, She confronted in a way that Hillary Clinton did not. The double standard that exists between men and women on the national stage at a debate like this. Uh, and so when Pence talked over her, she had those moments. And that was her I'm speaking moment. I'm speaking. And I think there's some resonance there. It had a, a resonance for me. Uh, and uh, if I could get personal with this, I coached basketball for years. I coached girls and boys in co-ed leagues. And I saw at a very early age, like the girls would, the boys would be like, pass me the ball. And the girls would pass on the ball. I called timeout. Why are you passing on the ball? Well, he asked him for, what do you care? You're better than he is. You're a better shooter than him. I don't want you passing the ball. And you, stop yelling, pass me the ball. Go over to the corner where you're supposed to go. And if you're open, she'll pass you the ball. You're a point guard. Don't, just because a boy tells you to pass you the freaking ball, you don't have to pass on the ball. That was me, Coach Ben. All right, Miles, you got a little taste of it. You would have been on my team. You're, you you could have been on my team, Miles. I would have told you, Miles, go down low and get me a freaking rebound, for goodness sake. But the point is, it really gets to me when I see women, they, they feel compelled on the national stage, particularly Democratic women. Well, I can't be too aggressive. I can't be I'll, be, I'll be labeled a nasty woman. You know what I'm saying? So I like it that Kamala Miles said, cut him off or try to cut him off. I don't know. I like that part. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's all, I'm sure it played differently to different audiences, but I think that's in terms of, trying to reclaim her time, it was way more effective than what Biden did. I mean, Biden didn't even, the debate last week, you remember, he didn't even really try to respond or stop Trump from talking. He kind of just shook his head and, you know, turned down and said, shut up, man, at one point. (laughs) (laughs) At least, I mean, the, the one positive thing about that, I don't think it's, you know, a good debate strategy, but I think it does speak to a certain subset of the voting populace, you know, that are just also thinking, would you just shut up, man? And I think for, you know, how Harris composed herself, I think similarly, it spoke to how, you know, so often our politics and our society and our workplaces um, just treat men and women so differently and give uh, men the ability to, to speak over women at every turn. And I think that's what Pence was trying to do. And it was smart for her to, um, call him out on that. The problem is that he was successful still, I think, in pushing forward his uh, views. There was no moment where I think that he really got shut down. That said, I think standing up for yourself and showing that, you know, you're, I think in that way, she showed herself to be kind of a leader and that this is the first time so many Americans didn't tune into the Democratic primaries were introduced to Kamala Harris and and that way, I think she did a good job of showing that she can be, you know, a leader, that she's not going to back down and that she's somebody who, you know, they could envision as a vice president. And because we know of how um, 
you know, the condition and the age of the two presidential nominees could also end up having to uh, serve as president. Yeah, that's a valid point. And she did spend uh, a good chunk of her early uh, answers sort of t- introducing herself to people. And she did a very effective job because your point's well taken. Um, people might, at the back, actually, I don't even think that's going on. In the old days, like uh, when it was Reagan, he was, he was considered old. People thought, well, Bush. So I'm going to look at Bush. McCain. He was old uh, and he had cancer. So people are going, well, I got to look at Sarah Palin because, you know, she may take over for him. Uh, people are, it's like people either love their Trump, the, the Trump cult, you know, that uh, stand outside the uh, the hospital. <laughs> wow, that's some weird stuff. Uh, when he's in there or they're, they despise Trump's policies, et cetera. By the way, I got to ask you, uh, do you know any lefties? who are either going to vote green or vote for Trump out of opposition to the Dems? Um, do I personally, of course, I know some people that are um, planning to vote for um, the Green Party in Illinois, some in New York for, for the Howie Hawkins ticket. Um, I certainly don't know anybody who would call themselves a leftist who is uh, planning to vote for President Trump. That's I think there's some far uh, left, you know, sectarian groups that might be accelerationalist, you know, openly in their politics and just want to see the American empire unravel quicker so that somehow like a workers party will rise up that are putting themselves. But that's the minuscule. I mean, those people are not going to play a role in this election. That is such a small, small subset of, uh, of the population and certainly of the broader left by far, you know, when we talk about the left, we talk about progressives uh, in this country. I think that most of us see the, uh, by far, most of us see the threat that this administration has posed, not just to, you know, these broad concepts of democracy and, you know, redistributive uh, programs and everything, but also people's lives. I mean, look at the um, Muslim ban, the, the, the racist Muslim ban that was pursued by this administration. Look at how uh, this administration approached the issue of immigration, which with these stepped up ICE rates, look at how uh, policing in America has turned into, you know, are you with the president or are you with I think people, uh, by and large, within the broad left, are supportive of uh, the the effort to remove Trump from office. I think we're, we're going to see far less uh, support for Howie Hawkins than we did for Jill Stein in 2016. Um, there's, you know, other some other candidates, the you know PSL and some other groups are running uh, are, are running operations. Of course, Kanye is still you know on the ballot in some states. I think. Um, but I think there's going to be far, far less uh, of, of, of that. There's going to be more um, either Biden or Trump votes this time around. And I think it's partially important because, um, I mean, I, I don't judge anybody for you know choosing in a safe state like Illinois that is solidly blue um, to, to, to vote how you know, they feel compelled to vote. Uh, whether or not that's for the Biden-Harris ticket. But I do, as I brought up before, I think it's incumbent upon us as uh, those who you know want to see this administration defeated soundly 
um, the best way to do that is to go out and vote against that administration and to show even if, you know, they're going to get, even if Biden is going to get Illinois electoral votes, if we have a complete landslide uh, when it comes to the popular vote as well, um, that's going to send a much stronger message and even potentially help to prevent the type of uh, democratic crises that could be possible if it's a closer election. So that's what I always tell people. And I just say that we have a, a even an op-ed up today at In These Times, people can read, that makes a point that you and I have discussed before, basically making the case for Democrats and progressives to vote uh, in person and early if they can, rather than voting uh, by mail this election, um, if they're comfortable doing that, if they feel it's safe, um, because that's also going to be important because of how you know much doubt vote by mail has been thrown in by this administration and all the attempts to disenfranchise um, votes coming to the postal service. So yeah. those are things that feel pretty strong. By the way, I want to give you a, a thank you and a shout out. Uh, you were introduced me to Michael Thurman. This gets to the point you're making. Michael Thurman's the uh, anti-war activist from California who uh, showed up, uh, what is it, a Super Tuesday, had a personal confrontation with Joe Biden, called him a warmonger or something like that because of his votes for the Iraqi war. Uh, that exchange was uh, videotaped and somehow or other Donnie Trump Jr. put it on his uh, Twitter feed, got lots of responses to it and made it seem as though uh, Thurman was saying he was endorsing Trump. He did a story and in these times, uh, and then thanks to you, I got his number, I called him up, he came on my show. And to your point, he says as much problems he has with Joe Biden, uh, he views Donald Trump as a threat to the, the future of our country and our democracy, and he's voting yeah. for Biden. I, yeah. I, and I just want to say also uh, on that point, the Biden campaign has made pretty clear that they, you know, they have merchandise that says I'm not a socialist. So me, for example, I consider myself a democratic socialist. Um, I'm part of a group called Democratic Socialists of America that does you know, important organizing work on a host of issues. Um, a lot of people slander DSA for not uh, endor- officially endorsing Joe Biden, even though uh, he never requested the group's support. But even DSA has uh, been in different chapters are doing, especially in swing states, doing a lot of work both to uh, make phone calls and texts uh, and get out the vote efforts in ways that the Biden campaign, if I could just critique them for a minute, has really not been doing in terms of outreach to there's a there's you know, the Bernie Sanders campaign really revved up a lot of people and got a lot of new voters really excited about politics and got them engaged, got them knocking on doors, making phone calls. Those people are still there and they're ready to do the work. And a lot of progressive groups now, People's Action, uh, Progressive Democrats of America, along with groups like DSA, are um, mobilizing voters to do that kind of work to help defeat Donald Trump right now. Um, So people being worried about like the left not being on board this time, I think that's just completely out of step with what's actually happening. I think that even the groups that are most opposed to Biden from the left are doing a lot more to get him elected than um, a lot of the the groups that other people would normally think are making up the traditional democratic coalition. So just want to give a shout out to all the, the lefties that are, that are hardcore working to make sure Donald Trump doesn't get another four years. All right. Uh, before I let you go, uh, tell us about any articles uh, that you've uh, written for In These Times or Jacobin that you want the world to know about. Sure. So I wrote um, a, a piece last week that um, is about the fair tax, which is something that I know you've talked a lot about on the show that most of your listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with. But as <laughs> we know, 
uh, richest man in the Illinois, uh, uh, Ken Griffin decided to throw another like $25 million or something into the pot to, to help kill uh, the proposal through all these uh, fictitious ads that send this absurd message that the flat, that, that upending the flat tax and installing a progressive income tax is somehow going to defeat, uh, somehow going to hurt working and poor people, which is just completely absurd. Uh, I think they're having some impact through doing that. And we've seen uh, other proposals like this in the past be defeated, even in Colorado last year. Right now there's a big fight in California over Prop 15. Um, another referendum that would, essentially raise taxes on the rich and corporate America. So that's what the fair tax would do. It is a good thing. We should vote for it. What the, the article I wrote for Jacobin is actually it's a different perspective on it and looks at how um, Abraham Lincoln back in 1861 introduced the first U.S. Uh, income tax in the midst of the uh, the Civil War, and that that tax was actually structured as a progressive tax, and much like the current fair tax being proposed in the Illinois, it also only applied to the top three percent of uh, households in terms of earners in America. Um, and so, you know, when when taxes when when taxing people's income was first uh, done in the United States, when it was first conceived of, it always was motivated by this principle of the rich should pay more. That is not reflected in the flat tax we have in Illinois. So the piece kind of explains that long history of it and ties in um, Abraham Lincoln to this uh, this current fight we have. So that's a Jacobin. It's called Abraham Lincoln Tax the Rich on Election Day, Illinois Can Too. Um, so please, yeah, check that one out. I know we didn't talk much about the Michigan thing. I'll just say that it's you know, just emblematic of how uh, dangerous this administration is that these people felt uh, comfortable to uh, openly have a plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan and um, and the only reason really that they were I mean the FBI uh, uh, it seems like infiltrated and had somebody who was uh, who, who was actually involved in some of these conversations and ended up getting these indictments today so thank goodness that it was not allowed to be carried out and I think it's just a, a sober reminder of the, the the real uh, danger of uh, Trump continuing to be in power and in, in terms of how much he's empowered these most, the, 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 the sickest forms of uh, You're right about that. Uh, Donald Trump has unleashed a lot of different things in this country. Uh, that is sort of some frightening stuff. That news is coming out of Michigan. I'll have uh, more time to absorb it uh, after the show, and we'll be talking about it tomorrow. Miles Conflassen, thank you as always. You did a great job. Uh, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you real soon, all right? Thank you very much, Ben. Um, thank you, Dr. D. I hope I didn't talk about the fly too much. <laughs> hey! Fly, fly and, hey I'm, glad that, I'm glad that Dennis uh, called out the Jeff Goldblum. I know there was an earlier fly movie from the 50s, but the the, the Jeff Goldblum fly cannot be beat. Brundlefly. That is a is an all-time classic. It is a classic. Great flick. Uh, but I actually saw the, uh, the, the one in the 50s, but I can't remember who was in it at this moment. Uh, but uh, that's a classic too. There used to be um, Creature Features. Uh, mm. Was on Channel Thirty Two. I think it was even your time, Miles and Dennis. Uh, Creature Features was still on, and so I. Well, I remember. That's how I got to watch. I remember. I remember seeing it many, many times. I love the fly. It's kind of gross out, especially when he like eats and regurgitates the donuts as a as, as a as a fly as a half fly, half human. But there is, I recommend for everybody, including uh, you two. There's a, a deleted scene. Uh, from that movie, The Fly, that has him, Jeff Goldblum, like 
crawling down the side of a building um, and it was deemed too creepy to uh, be put into the final version of the film but I think it's worth checking out if you're if you're a fan of the fly go on YouTube you can find the deleted scene Oh, all right, I'll do that tonight. Uh, all right, Miles, uh, you know I will do that tonight because I spent a lot of my time uh, in the pandemic watching. Uh, well, I, I watched a lot of uh, wrestling videos that Dennis sends me, <laughs> but not. It's got a little acknowledgement. Well, we, don't have, we, don't, we don't have an NBA Finals game tonight, so you got to. No, but tomorrow, uh, let's get. All right, before you leave, a prediction from you on the NBA. Uh, Miles, huge basketball fan, so uh, it's three to one as we speak. Uh, the Lakers have a commanding lead. What's your prediction? Who will be the champion and in how many games? I never count out Jimmy Butler. I think I, you know, from uh, from his early days in Chicago, I'm a fan of uh, Jimmy G Buckets. The G stands for Gets. I think that... Uh, <laughs> I think they're going to win tomorrow night. I think they're going to pull it out and at least go to six games, maybe seven. It's hard for me to imagine if they don't, if the if the, they're not at full health, um, if Bam and Gor- and Goran Dragic are not both back at full percentage in the lineup, I don't know how they're going to be able to defeat LeBron and AD. That's just such a you know powerhouse. Um, and hey, shout out to LeBron. He's you know my age and doing incredible things with the basketball court. So yeah, uh, so yeah, so big shout out to him. But I'm going to stick with Jimmy Butler. I'm going to I'm going to say Heat are going to win tomorrow. Yeah, I'm with you. Heat win tomorrow, but uh, Lakers prevail oh, wow. in six games. Uh, D, what about you, young man? Uh, it's not the place for it's political podcast, but I say, uh, the Lakers, the Lakers win, the Lakers win it Uh, tomorrow. They win it tomorrow. Close it out. Oh, oh, miles. One more thing. Wait on me. Go go dolphins. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. This is a political podcast. Miles uh, is a graduate, a proud graduate of uh, Whitney Young High School, and they are the top. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, all right. Couldn't be a Miles segment without that little dolphin sound. All right, Miles, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you soon, all right? Bye. All right, that's the great Miles Complasson from In These Times. Uh, Dennis, you got any updates for us before we head out that door? Absolutely, I do. And, man, thanks to Miles, he is a Segway master. He was just talking about that movie, The Fly. Uh, We do have some updates here. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Okay, in not-so-serious national news, after last night's vice presidential debate, Flygate lives on. (laughs) Flygate. This comes from USA Today. Uh, The fly that landed on Vice President Mike Pence's head has inspired the launch of Biden-Harris swatters, a number of Twitter accounts, and endless jokes. Oh, I've heard a million of them already on this show. And also a campaign. This is an actual thing going on right now. A campaign to get Jeff Goldblum on Saturday Night Live. Because as we were talking about earlier, and as Miles just mentioned, Goldblum played the fly in the movie, The Fly. Ben Jarofsky, would Jeff Goldblum playing the fly make, <laughs> to make fun of Wednesday's debate get you to tune in to Saturday Night Live this weekend? No. Well, can I amend that question? Can I uh, elaborate a bit? I never watched Saturday Night Live live because I'm usually watching a movie on Saturday, but I uh, watched the bits the next day. So I will definitely. So, for instance, the first show, I love the the debate between. um, Oh, my God. We haven't even talked about this. 
Uh, I love. I'm a. Oh, this is embarrassing. Ooh. Confession time, D. Yeah, I know. I love Jim Carrey. I've always. Well, what's loved wrong Jim with Carrey. that? Jim Carrey's awesome. I know he's awesome. I loved so when he came out as Biden and he did that little thing with the guns. Me, me, me. I was like, that's Jim Carrey. And then he did you see that? Do you, do you know what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he looks a lot and, like Biden. And then he took the tape to measure. So he had that little Jim Carrey look like, oh, I got the tape. I mean, half of my stuff I just literally stole from Jim. So I love Jim Carrey. And uh, so, yeah, I saw that. I saw Chris Rock's opening. So, yeah, if. Jeff Goldblum does uh, opening with the fly. I will definitely watch that the next day. So yeah, uh, that made Jim Carrey playing Joe Biden uh, made me think. Wow, he he looks a lot like Joe Biden. Great job. And also it made me realize. Oh my God, Joe Biden looks like Fire Marshal Bill. You remember Fire <laughs> Marshal Bill? Yeah, man, Joe Biden, the fire marshal bill. Remember the onions thing about Joe Biden? I don't know if you remember that, but the onion would have Joe Biden wearing the shades and with a uh, sleeveless T-shirt on, and he was always working on a car. Anyway. uh, All right, well, we have actual news. We have actual news that uh, we can talk about besides Flygate. To the actual news here, the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman. Mayor Lori Lightfoot has been urging Chicago's corporate and philanthropic communities to help Chicago rebuild more equitably uh, after the economic devastation created by the coronavirus and the civil unrest triggered by the death of George Floyd. On Thursday, both sectors answered the call, armed with $25 million in, quote, initial philanthropic contributions and corporate commitments. The Chicago Community Trust launched Together We Rise. The goal is to make certain that black and Hispanic communities that bore the brunt of both the health and and economic impacts of the coronavirus can make a strong comeback from that double whammy. Uh, we mentioned this, that she was uh, talking about this in her public events today. Uh, a steering committee will, quote, pool and distribute philanthropic resources aimed at ensuring an equitable economic recovery. This is according to a news release announcing the initiative. All right. This is just my first response to I know nothing about this story other than what you just read. I don't know any of the names of the people involved. I'll obviously, after the show, take a deeper dive. But my initial response coming on the heels of what Miles just was talking about is this. Thank you, philanthropic Chicago. Thank you, corporate Chicago. Uh, But we cannot eradicate the inequities that exist and have existed for years and years with handouts. So on one hand, so many of these wealthy donors are contributing a portion of their money to good causes. And on the other hand, they're contributing money to defeat the fair tax. So they're defeating an attempt to tax themselves at a higher rate so that we could deal with these inequities on a regular ongoing basis. And then they're like, want to be patted on the back for a one-shot deal, a one-shot handout. So that was my initial reaction. And I know it sounds so jaded and cynical and not appreciative. And so I do appreciate that money. But this is not going to end in 2020. This problem is going to exist in 2021 and 2022. It hasn't existed for years. 
So I, I don't know. I think a little uh, help on the fair tax side of things would also be appreciated, D. I just like the word philanthropic. Uh, I'm a philanthropist. Uh, I like how they put a word for someone who just has an absurd amount of money. <laughs> and can kick it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like rich, it's like there's double standards. Like rich people who are weird are eccentric. Like it was you and yeah, me. I'm like, yeah. what a weirdo. No you know kidding, I mean? right? But when you're rich, you're like, it's, it's, it's eccentric. <laughs> I, I, I've worked for some eccentric rich people. He's eccentric. Uh, okay, past. well, he's still he's, not wearing pants. Can he put them on, please? My God, what a weirdo. <laughs> uh, no, he's rich. He can do whatever he wants. Oh, okay. okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so uh, philanthropic. Uh, right up there with fiduciary. It's my fiduciary responsibility. <laughs> Chicagoans love to use big words. Oh, don't get me Chicago. started on fiduciary, all right? Let's move on. It's time for another 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. This is a 2020 <laughs> Illinois general election candidate update. No, we do the car when we meet the candidates. This is an update. Love the reverb, man. All right. So uh, earlier we covered the unfortunate news of Senate candidate Willie Wilson. Now oh, there's an ambulance going by in my apartment. Uh, so we covered the unfortunate news of Senate candidate Willie Wilson testing positive for COVID-19. Once again, get well soon, Willie. But Wilson's Senate opponent, incumbent Democrat Dickie D. Dick Durbin, released a new candidate campaign ad today. Oh, kicking Willie while he's down, aren't you, Dickie D.? My goodness. Uh, we have an ad here to play from Dick Durbin. And uh, but first, we're going to we're going to play it. But first, the press release, uh, the press release reads U.S. Senator Dick Durbin's reelection campaign is releasing a new television advertisement uh, advertisement. It's my problem today. Highlighting Durbin's efforts to provide rural fire and emergency medical services agencies the critical funding that they need to serve their communities. Durbin's legislation, the Siren Act, authorized new funding for a federal grant program that supports rural EMS agencies in training and recruiting staff and purchasing equipment for everything from opioid overdose, overdose treatment uh, drug and first aid kits to power stretchers and new ambulances. The bipartisan bill was enacted into law as part of the 2018 Farm Bill. The ad features EMT Mark Kennedy. And I got to say it, it looks a lot like John Goodman. Uh, <laughs> Wait, the old John Goodman or the I know you don't watch the Connors and, you know, because you're a Roseanne fan. But have you, John Goodman's lost a lot of weight. I don't know if you yeah, know. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. He looks yeah, really skinny. Uh, so wait, the old John Goodman or the new John Goodman? Uh, way to throw that Roseanne dig in there. But this is the older. This is like the medium John Goodman. You know what I mean? Not not like Raising Arizona John Goodman, not uh, John Goodman now. Like in the middle, when Roseanne was at its heyday. Uh, so we got the ad here. Features Mark Kennedy. When you see, uh, if you ever see this ad, you'll go, boy, that guy looks like John Goodman. Oh, that's what Dennis was talking about. All right. So let's hear the ad now and take it away, Dickie D. When it comes to medical emergencies, out here, every second counts. Delays can be fatal. So I asked Senator Durbin to help EMTs and firefighters to save our rural communities. He listened and led the fight to pass the SIREN Act, to recruit and train first responders, to buy the equipment we need to save lives. My community counts on me. It's good to know that we can count on Senator Durbin. Dick Durbin, a senator for times like these. I'm Dick Durbin and I approve this message. Oh, Dick Durbin. <laughs> <laughs> 
can I ask, where do they get these announcers for these commercials? You know, apparently not from me. Boy, I'd like to make some money. Call me up, guys. Come on. Yeah, it does do that. Uh, oh my god. Uh, so anyway, yeah, you know, I think Dick Durbin is. Uh, you know, most this is important for Durbin because uh, he's viewed as a liberal, obviously, uh, and uh, as a liberal Democrat, people would assume. Uh, he's from Chicago, and I guess uh, D. This is a t- his attempt uh, to say no. Um, uh, I'm not uh, from Chicago. That uh, I uh, represent the entire state of Illinois, and my memory is, and this is always dangerous, that Dick Durbin is from around your neck of the woods, D. I want to say he's from. Uh, around uh, the metro area. Get the hell out of here. I want to say that. I know he was when he was a, he was a congressman before he was a senator. Uh, where's Frank when I need him? He was a congressman before he was a senator. And I believe his district was around Springfield. And I want to say he was born. Uh, I don't think he was born in Alton. Is he St. Louis near Alton? Yes. Uh, he was born in around there. One of those towns, excuse my ignorance. Uh, but I, so this is an attempt, I think to say, hey, you know, I'm not just some Chicago Democrat like Ben Jarofsky. I'm, I'm, I'm like a real Illinois guy and I'm supported downstate. So, you know, I thought that was Dick Durbin. I saw there at the Arby's when I went back home a couple months back, <laughs> maybe that was him. Yeah. It could hmm, have been. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. I, I doubt he's lived there in a while. But uh, anyway, my memory is he's from your neck of the woods. So whatever. What's, yeah. Okay. On one to five stars, rate that ad, buddy. Uh, I find that voice annoying. Uh, well, you're not going to like any of these ads that we play know, until I the know. election. You know what? I want Durbin to win five. I'm gonna give it five, okay? Because right. I want Durbin to win. <laughs> Five, Dickie D. That's pretty good. Ben's a pretty tough critic. Five stars. Wow. All right. Uh, So, but wait, there's more. Uh, We heard that ad from Dick Durbin. Now we have two fair tax ads to play for everybody. That's right. The Illinois fair tax, not a candidate. I know this is a candidate update, but I said it yesterday. Yeah, it may as well be because everybody's talking about it. Republicans are ripping it left and right. May as well be a a human candidate. Uh, For those who don't know, Uh, The Illinois fair tax is a proposed amendment to the Illinois state constitution that would change the state income tax system from a flat tax to a graduated income tax. Ben, I have two ads. One is for the fair tax. The other is against the fair tax. We're going to let the host choose which one we hear first. Which one you want? You want a no fair tax or a yes fair tax? Uh, I'm going to tell you my choice, but first I just update. Frank just texted me. East St. Louis. He was born in East St. Louis. Wow. I thought it was Alton, but they're near each other, right? So uh, anyway, let's uh, thank you, Frank. And uh, hey, not bad. Uh, I mean, it's close to Alton. All right. Yes, fair tax or no fair tax? Uh, no fair tax. Let's go with that commercial. All right. Here we go. This ad comes from probably that group Ken Griffin gave millions of dollars to. <laughs> the vote no uh, for fair tax ad. Here we go. I'm deeply concerned about the tax hike amendment. It gives Springfield politicians new power to increase income taxes on anyone, including middle income families like mine and hardworking Illinoisans like me. 
They would even have the power to tax my retirement income. We don't trust Springfield politicians to be fair to taxpayers. Please stand with middle class families across Illinois and vote no. Vote no on the tax hike amendment. Well, the music scared the hell out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow. Well, what can I say, man? Get people, uh, if they're all legitimate, I, I didn't see the images that were up. Uh, I mean, they're just regular commercial. regular people, you yeah. know? One lady had a, a groceries on the back of her uh, SUV. She was getting ready to put them inside. Yeah, so assuming that they are act, the actual people that uh, the, the commercial says they are, as opposed to actors or whatever, uh, you're getting uh, people to vote against their... their um, Best interest, their financial best interest. Uh, what can I say? It's pretty cynical, particularly the bit about taxing. I'm going to have to do a comment about this one. Taxing uh, retirement income, that's not at all as a part of this uh, this amendment. That's uh, an offshoot of some comments that Mike Frerix, the state treasurer, made. Uh, and I, got, I said it yesterday. you got to give those uh, no-tax people credit. They discovered it. It was in June. They've been dragging it out ever since, and now they turned it into a commercial. Uh, they gave somebody a line to read. Guys, if you're a pensioner, the same folks that are telling you to vote no on this taxes are coming after your pensions next. I, anyway. I now I am for the fair tax. I think what the hell? Let's give it a shot. I you know I'm a sucker for new ideas. I guess. But uh, the, the one lady, the lady who uh, had her groceries in uh, in the SUV, she's getting ready to bring them inside. She brought up a point. You know it is. I, she said, how could we trust these people to, you know, do right with our tax money? Like we read these reports every damn day, Ben, about these politicians being corrupt. Does that lady have a point? Yes, she has a very good point. But the reality is, is that taxes will have to be raised to pay for our obligations. She has an excellent point. There's a culture of corruption in uh, Illinois politics, in national politics, Every state of the union politics, every city in the union, every suburb. You get people together in a room, D, and someone is conniving. That's like human nature. Well, especially That's in con- Illinois. I, I actually, I, I'm not even certain that Illinois, we concentrate in Illinois. If we move the Ben Jarofsky show to Utah, I bet you we'd have plenty of material. <laughs> I bet it's just human nature. You put a hundred people in a room and five of them will be conniving to do something no good. Okay. I just, I don't care if you're in Illinois, New York, New Jersey, we're in Illinois. So we focus on it. This is what we do. So yes, you're absolutely correct, but you still have obligations to pay. Still have roads to pave. Still got bill schools to maintain. Someone's got to pay for it. And our system we have now, the woman with the SUV, let's assume that she really is a real person as opposed to an actress. Not that an actress isn't a real person, but as opposed to the person she says she is, she'll have to pay more than Kenny G, a greater percentage of her income than Kenny G's. And that's not a sane way to run a state. So, yes, your point is very, is right on, D. There will always be corruption. I hate to say it, folks. I hate to be so cynical and jaded. There will always be this struggle between the goods and bad sides of human beings. That doesn't mean you're, what, are you just going to cut off funding? Well, that's it. You're still going to have to pay these bills. It's just that if you don't have a graduated tax, 
the lady with the SUV will pay a greater portion of her income than Kenny G. So that's my right, response. Right. Jury's still out if that was a, a, an actor or a real life concerned citizen. But one thing's for sure those groceries looked like real groceries. All right. <laughs> Let's do the uh, Yes Fair Tax ad. We're going hard in the paint today, guys. I will play the Spare Tax ad, then we'll ride out of here. Yes Fair Tax. Here we go. The billionaires are spending a fortune to try and scare us. They want to keep getting away without paying their fair share. I did my research, and here are the facts. The fair tax will not tax retirement income. You heard that right. The fair tax will not tax retirement income. As a matter of fact, 97% of Illinoisans will get a tax cut, including seniors like me. It's time for change. Vote yes for fairness. Well, she seemed nice. Wait, time out, D. Was, uh, <laughs> uh, so did the lady in the SUV. She seemed nice, too. Was it uh, an, an actress? Or was it, did, did it have a name of the person? Or did did it say or uh, no, I didn't just, look to see if they're, if they showed yeah. her name, but I mean, seemed like a real person. Yeah. I, um, uh, I agree with everything she said, the sentiments of what she, uh, she said. And, uh, but the fact that she felt compelled to talk about taxing, uh, retirement incomes, you know, shows, uh, the genius, the diabolical evil genius of the Kenny G. Uh, so Kenny G crowd folks, I, I Kenny G gotta give you credit on this one. That's a brilliant move. I gotta give you credit. Dragged up that speech from old boy Frerichs back in June. Frerichs, what were you thinking? And now you're using it, and it'll probably defeat the fair tax. And that's more money for you, Kenny G. <laughs> that $47 million you're spending now on these commercials, it's gonna pay back big dividends because your taxes will be lower. <laughs> uh, I'm Kenny oh, G. Oh, what? <laughs> That's so it's a brilliant move. I got to give the uh, the Kenny G crowd big shout out. And Illinois Institute and that gang, fellas, take a bow. Because that was a good move. That was jujitsu. That's using their strength against us. And that was a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. That was update, a 2020, 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. 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 Yes. Update. That's the echo. Remember, everybody, you can follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can send us an email, Show at gmail.com, and you can call us. Send us a voicemail, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. It's a new one. Uh, I want to thank Miles Camp Latson in these times. Outstanding job. Of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show uh, would be possible. Oh, my God, Ben. And- there's a giant bee on your face. <laughs> and as Jerry Seinfeld, a bee reference, uh, and Jeff Goldblum, a fly reference, would tell you, back home in Alton, They call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everyone. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. I'm not a perfect person.
Come on, man. Come on, man. When I was a kid, I loved the Batman TV show. Come on, man. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question.